Ladies and gentlemen, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman Report for today. It is Tuesday, May 15th, 2018. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and your trust in us. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. We've got uh, news for the first half hour. And, of course, uh, the bottom of the hour, Leslie Ann Stoffel uh, reporting live from Jerusalem. Ha, 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 ha. Just to bring us the information. I, I'm not saying anything on the monitor, Eric. I don't know if that's uh, okay. All right. So, and folks, if, if, if there's any issues with the video, just stand by. Um, of course, we broadcast on three platforms, uh, Global Star Satellite Radio, Global Star Radio Network, that is, Blog Talk Radio, and YouTube as well, at least Riding the Beast as long as we can. Speaking of Riding the Beast, there is, uh, oh, by the way, uh, top of next hour, Dark Journalist is going to be joining us. And, of course, rounding out tonight will be Stan Dale, last, his last appearance before his big trip. A new coalition, Conservatives Against Online Censorship, forms to combat uh, censorship of conservative speech online by the leftist, progressive, democratic, socialist, Marxist, liberals, lunatics. Um, what other adjective can I throw in there? And, of course, the uh, the, the self-hating Christians as well and self-hating Christian conservatives. That's right. I said that. Uh, and, and we, uh, we, we together are going to, uh, uh, when I say we, I'm, I'm lumping our organization into that. We are fighting this censorship. We will not be silenced. We will not be gagged. We will not be told what to say, when to say it, how to say it. We are not going to be stifled, stymied. We will, we are going to be moving forward. And this is a message to everyone, every one of you out there trying to shut us down. I'm telling you right now, you're not going to do it. We are going to prevail against you, whether it is in the legal arena, whether it's in the court, the federal courts, whether it's in the state courts, whether it is in the streets of America, we will prevail. This is not Canada. This is not Mexico. This isn't the Middle East. This is the United States of America. And I'm going to tell you right now, I am damn proud to live in the United States of America. I'm damn proud to have President Donald Trump as our president. And I'm proud. I'm proud to be sitting behind this microphone, which to me is a privilege in this case. It's a privilege to be able to speak to you. The Hagman Report will prevail, and we will help others to prevail. We will stick together, and that's the thing. The people in the alternative media must stick together. You cannot form a circular firing squad and fire upon one another. We've got to stick together. We've got to go out, and uh, we've got to stop this lunatic liberal crap that's taking place. Right now, report uh, from the uh, uh, the organization, uh, of course, censored. Just some research center, right? Just a few things here. Twitter leads in censorship. Project Veritas, of course, and and thank God for Project Veritas. Thank God for James O'Keefe. Thank God for the patriots and people out there who will go undercover, who will do un- such unchristian like things as use aliases. You wonder why that gets me sometimes. It's because. Um, I, I, I just, you know, it's amazing to me when, when you've got people, self, 
again, self-described Christians who say, well, that's just not Christian-like behavior to assume a separate identity, to lie about your identity and go undercover. Yet, whether it's an abortion clinic or whatever the venue, you know, I, I spent 30 years of my life basically doing just that. And I was good at it. I was damn good at it. And, and then you have these, again, these self-professed, self-described Christians saying, well, that's not very Christian-like. Okay. Are Christian police? You know? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Are they non-Christian because yeah. they need to use yeah. manipulation and deception to catch criminals? It's the same concept. Uh, of course it is. But, but you know what? He, 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 Brennan House did this wonderful video. I don't know whether you saw it or not recently. It's about the LGBT infusion into the churches, into the church community. And about the churches embracing the, this perversion of doctrine. It, it's fantastic. Same concept, folks. It's the same concept. So, but Twitter leads in censorship. Project Veritas recently caught Twitter staffers admitting on hidden camera that they've been censoring conservatives through a technique known as shadow banning. You know about that. Facebook's trending has, uh, trending feed has been hiding conservative topics. We know. None of this is news. But we're going to hit this head on. We're not going to put up with this. And, and you know, yesterday I met, I got some emails. What do you mean by those crazy eyes? It, just look on Twitter and, and look at some of the people on Twitter. And I'm not going to point out the names because I don't, they don't deserve the oxygen attempting to, uh, talk bad and take down, for example, people like Alex Jones. Look at their eyes and tell me that ain't crazy. That's a whole boatload of crazy. Google search aides, Democrats. Google and YouTube corporate chairman Eric Schmidt assisted, had assisted Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. The company search, uh, but you get the idea. You know what? I'm not going to go through all of this. But the fact is, uh, Hillary Clinton was helped more than, uh, 90 times more, t- 99 more times than Donald Trump was in the 2016 election. By the way, the staffers of Twitter justified uh, let's see here. Uh, they're, they're, they're basically, they're, they're banning of accounts. Um, if the, uh, if the uh, tweets had the word America and God in, in the tweets, uh, Twitter had attempted to manipulate election related tweets using the hashtags Podesta emails and DNC leak. The site also restricts pro-life ads. Imagine that. You know, I'm beginning to think that these, these democratic socialists, I, I believe that they love death more than they love life. They love abortion. They love the, uh, the, the Islamic Sharia. By the way, that's another thing. Y- you know, it's an amazing thing I mentioned yesterday. The Council on American Islamic Relations put out this or promoted this Al Jazeera video. My goodness, have you, have you seen this 48 no. uh, minute piece of rot? No. Okay, you know how they're, they're attempting to, to, uh, uh, to justify Sharia. And, you know, of course they trot out Andrew, Andre Carson and Keith Ellison. They're, they're token Muslims in the U.S. Senate. First of all, my question is how in the hell did they get in the U.S. Senate to begin with? By the way, it was election, it was primary day here in Pennsylvania. I hope everyone voted. Yep. Yes, but, it but, was. but nonetheless, the, the bottom line here is, uh, the, the, the democratic socialists embrace the concept of death through the death of the, the murder of the unborn through the adherence to Sharia, which, of course, <laughs> Islam means submission, Sharia, this path, a certain path. It's, it's Folks, I saw a, a coexist bumper sticker on a car today. My wife had They're it. They're everywhere. Okay, my wife had it actually 
she held me down, all right? Because I, I, I wanted to get out and rip it off the car. There ain't no coexisting. You cannot. Islam and democracy, or Islam should not, let me correct myself, Islam and our representative republic and Islam and Christianity cannot, cannot, cannot coexist. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pits of hell. Nowhere in scripture does it say coexist with evil. Nowhere does it say tolerate evil. This country, but, and as, as Dave Dobmeyer has said, and I, I love America's coach, and I hope everyone tunes in to uh, uh, Pass the Salt Coach Dave Live every every morning at 7 o'clock. I was there and on Twitter this morning watching, and, 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 and like, you know, I was like, shh. And I, uh, I was watching on Twitter. Uh, fantastic, just fantastic information. But having said that, he said, this country does not suffer from intolerance. We suffer from too much tolerance. We tolerate too much. And it's about damn time that all of us, you and I, together, together, we stop tolerating the perversions of our laws, the perversions of the Constitution, the perversions of our religious beliefs, the perversion of our culture, the perversion and the assaults on the fabric of this country and everything that made this country great. Stop it. Too much tolerance. Yeah, in this uh, piece, the illusion of tolerance, I posted this on Hagman's report probably a, a week or two ago. Liberalism was once the beacon of tolerance in this country. However, the fact of the matters are, regardless of your stance, liberals have moved far from a position of tolerance, often, often absolutely referring to hear any other perspectives had by fellow American conservatives, particularly those on the fringes of the right wing, are obviously guilty of the same. But the tolerance that the liberals so heavily promote, those people are the most intolerant of anybody. They want you to tolerate everything that they believe. Not only tolerate it, they want you to accept it, to believe it to be true. Yet your own views, contrary to that, are to be silenced, banned, and outlawed. And that's what they're doing. You, you know, and, and that's I right. I tweeted right. something out today. There was a piece up on... um the Media Research Center, where you're uh, referencing that yep. social media, that says the following, and I want to make sure I get this right. California wants conversion therapy to be banned. So what have they done? California demands Christians evolve. Basically, using their own form of conversion therapy to get to uh, understand and get these ide- people's ideology and accept it, at the same time, they're banning and outlawing what they call conversion therapy, including which would include the sale of the Bible, because they say the Bible is a tool of conversion therapy. Go read the report on Hagman Report. It's absolutely mind-boggling. They think Christians need to evolve, need to tolerate their agenda, and if not, be silenced, and they're going to ban the Bibles anyway, thinking that that's going to draw more people to their side of the argument. You Absolutely know, crazy. And my question is, is that, what is your line in the sand? I often use this, I often ask this question, what's your line in the sand going to be? Is it when they ban Bibles? Is it when they come to your door to, to take the guns by that time it's too late? Because at that time, in my view, it's bullets first. In my view. In my personal view. Is it, is it when they, they come, when, when the, uh, we just had a case in Erie. I don't, Joe, I don't know whether you saw this or not. A couple of Somalian immigrants in Erie, Pennsylvania, met up with some people in Columbus, met up with some people in New York, and they drove to a place in New Hampshire and shot at, shot some people at a wedding. All right. This is assimilation, right? 
this is what they want. This is the, the, the Catholic charities and the various religious charities bringing these people over. They've got no intention of assimilating. They assault, uh, they're an insult to our country. They assault our country. They assault our fellow countrymen. They assault our women on the streets. And you know, look, Alex Jones is 100% correct about this issue. And by the way, when I speak about fighting and banding together and fighting against this, this censorship and fighting against these attacks. I am, look, I am in full support 100% behind Alex Jones, InfoWars, and everyone associated with that platform. 100% behind it. Like it or not, I am behind them. I am behind every individual out there with a YouTube channel or with a presence on the internet who are speaking their mind. I don't have to agree with them but I respect and I believe in their right to exist. I'm not trying to shut them up. The Southern Poverty Law Center, as as much of a rot that they are, the right-wing watch, as much as a, of a degenerate rot, in my view, that that is, the ADL, as much, a, as much of a, a, in my view, a cancer, a boil on the hindquarters of, of humanity, I respect their right to exist. And I respect their right to talk. Unlike them to us. But I'll tell you something. We need to stick together as independent media and, and stand side by side and fight together or we're, we're going to end up DOA, dying. That's right. All right. So I, I, I urge everyone. Put aside your petty differences. Put aside your egos. Check your e. No one needs to bring an ego here. Nobody. Stop it with that. Stop it with, you know, with, with all that stuff. Pride, ego. Pride, yeah, yeah. It's, we are all in this together. And see, this is the other part of this as well. As I was doing some research for the show today and talking with people all through, throughout today, we are witnessing today the legacy of corruption, the legacy of deception and the legacy of destruction of our nation. And that legacy is the legacy of Barack Hussein Obama. This is Obama's legacy, everything we're seeing here. And the fact that we've got Donald Trump in office, again, you don't have to agree with him 100%. You heard Kate Daly last night on the flagship show. Hey, maybe you just don't understand. I don't understand some of his decisions. But you know what? It's not Hillary Clinton, and it's certainly not Bernie Sanders. How would life be if Hillary Clinton was in office? Would life still be if Hillary Clinton was in office? By the way, I'm just curious, would she, would she be shaving her legs? or did you, Because, you know, uh, there's a book by, uh, I think it's Edward Klein, Aaron Klein, Edward Klein, I'm not sure which one, uh, about how she gave up just basically all, all, all aspects of hygiene back uh some time ago and that was you know i was just curious as first uh or as the most powerful woman in the world i'm just curious just you know where your head goes sometimes um yeah that's probably inappropriate right yeah well, I, I don't if know. it's reported somebody wrote it in yeah a book. it was it was in fact I, I was going through i've got like i don't know is it, it clinton cash or something no 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 uh there's uh uh my goodness on my desk in there you can see like there's five clinton books i'm not even sure which one it was but it gets into the uh, the Clinton criminal cabal and all that. But but the bottom line is this: uh, we are in a fight of, of our we're in an epic battle right now. 
By the way, conflict of interest. Mueller's FBI has yep. a history with Russian oligarch Oleg uh, Deripaska. Mm-hmm. Okay, you need to know this. You need to get if you haven't done so already. You need to really get read up on and, and get at least the thumbnail sketch of of the Mueller investigation. I for one, it was an interesting concept last night. I I I. I how do I follow through with Laura with, Ingram broke it on the Ingram angle? Right, right. But 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 you know what Kate Daly said about maybe uh, maybe Mueller went in darkly and perhaps that that maybe they might be using that that darkness in his past uh, transgressions to to maybe manipulate him toward a, a proper ending. I don't believe that to be the case. But the, the, but Kate Daly had an interesting take on that, and you got to stop and think about this. Entertain others people other people's Ideas, you know, if you have again ten people in a room and there's and everyone's in agreement, I got a problem with that. Unless it's a really black and white issue, you know, is it raining outside the door right here? If it's something that simple, but when you're talking about things like this, divergent opinions, I believe, are are, are really great in furthering intellectual discussion and discourse and, and looking at matters differently. But so my closing, basically. I, that completes my closing statement. Just a lot of news, a lot of information. We need to we need to band together in solidarity. We need to fight the people who are attempting to shut us up, and we are doing just that. And you want you want to attempt to shut us up, you're going to, get to fight. You want to sue us, you're going to, get to fight. You 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 want to you want to threaten us, then you better follow through on your threats. You want to write about us, you you better make damn well sure you're 100% accurate on the transcripts. That's right. And that concludes my opening statement. When you go to fight somebody, I mean, do you expect them just to lay down? Do you expect that they're just going to, you know, let you pummel them and, and destroy them? Absolutely not. You're going to have a pushback. It doesn't matter who you are and who you're fighting. You have to have a pushback. And it's sometimes a you start it's a, a fight, fight, you're not always going to like the results of the ending. That's right. You, you go put your look, look. I gotta say, all right, you never wrestle with a pig. Two things happen. Okay, you, you both get muddy and the pig likes it. All right, but I'm, I'm not averse to a street fight. And this is a street fight. They ain't playing by the rules. We're not gonna play by the rules either. And if that's, if that's, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Why should we be adhered to, uh, you know, tied to a set of rules? When we're, when they're not, they're not adhering to the same rules. So, the bottom line, the bottom line on all of this is, is we're loaded for bear. And I want to thank my team. And I say my team. That's kind of territorial, I suppose. I want to thank Joe and I want to thank Eric the Tech and John Robertson. Okay. Every single one of these people and Jackie, the administrative assistant, every single person on this team, we are acting in concert with one another. An attack on one is attack on everyone. And that's the way it should be with everybody. We fight this together. Look, we know how the story, we, we know how this ends in the larger sense. God wins. Period. That's, that's the most important thing. God wins. And Christians but, win. Green Christians win. Right. But, but it doesn't mean that we get a free pass and sit out and be spectators in this. We gotta get skin in the game, as Coach Dave Dobmeyer says. I'm telling you, I could listen to him for Hours. He could start his own motivational man. speaking circuit if you really wanted to. Oh, you know, I'm telling you, self help. But no, in all seriousness, uh, it is unbelievable in 
today's day and age with the alter- rise of the alternative media, with the rise uh, and the pushback against the propaganda, the constant. Wait, 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 wait. I, I just saw, I, I just saw a note in here. It's by a uh, news unit. Okay, I, uh, this is not picking on you. What in the uh, yeah, YouTube uh, on the chat? You're supposed to be private investigators. Start using your head and get serious. Let me tell you something. We don't tell you what we do. Emphasis on the word private. Trust me. When when I'm not here, you know, when I'm not behind the camera, trust me. I've got a lot of surprises coming. Don't under look. You can underestimate me. You can under underestimate this team. Not a problem. But you do it. You do so at your own peril. Amen. Well, in the last five minutes of the segment, let's just uh, hit on some news before we're joined. Uh, by Leslie Ann Stoffel. She's live from Jerusalem. She's going to be joining us to give us an update on what is going on over there with the move of the embassy to from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and the ensuing violence that we have seen in Gaza kind of died down since yesterday. We saw up to 55 dead, over 2,400 injured. And there's a lot of people on either side of these arguments saying, you know, oh, Israel, they should do that. Uh, other people saying, you know, they're, they're uh, blanketly murdering people indiscriminately. Obviously, there's a lot of gray area there. These people were 35,000-plus protesters attacking the border. They've shown video of them trying to plant bombs and uh, do a number of things to destroy the border and, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate when you see this level of death and injury. But if you look at the disproportionate number of injuries to deaths, I think it's very safe to say that Israel is not indiscriminately killing people. Otherwise, the death toll could be in the thousands. But, you know, you're going to have your people who are making assessments on these instances based on their overall uh, mindset or likes of dislikes of of either, you know, the Palestinians or the Israelis. But we're going to continue to dig away at that, and when she comes on, we'll get an update from somebody who's on the ground there. One of kind of the big news on the day, at least what's on Drudge, and it's not that big big of a news. It's not as big as they're making it out to be. North Korea threatening to cancel the summit with President Trump. It's not Kim Jong-un who's threatening to cancel this. He never said anything about this. In fact, if you go back and look at uh, some of the reports, Kim Jong-un even said he understands that these two nations need to carry on drills, and President Trump is looking to give him some concessions, like agricultural and other help, lifting sanctions to overlook the military drill. Apparently, from what I can gather, somebody inside the regime of North Korea is unhappy that there is peace going on. And they are calling some of the state-run news agencies and filling their ears with things like this. North Korea threatens to cancel nuclear summit with Trump because it believes provocative military drills of the joint between U.S. and South Korea are a rehearsal for an invasion. But if you read this article, this is sourced from uh, the North Korean government's, from a North Korean government personnel. They're, they're not named. From what I can tell, the operation is called Max Thunder. It's a joint military exercise between the U.S. and South Korea, and this has been something that they've been doing for a long time. But no, until you hear Kim Jong Un, until you see a tweet from him coming out saying as much, much like what we see with the anonymous sources in the White House, I would disregard this report. It seems to be, you know, a big story about nothing. So we'll see what happens with this, but I don't believe they're going to ruin the peace accord, the peace talks over military drills. That's just my opinion, but 
The interesting news, some other interesting news that's not really making a lot of headway. We saw the president attempt to ban transgenders from the military. And we've seen federal judges come back and say, no, 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 that's unconstitutional. The Pentagon came back and said, no, we're not going to follow that. Not only are we going to allow transgenders in the military, we're going to use taxpayer dollars to have them have reassignment surgeries for those who want it. Well, today, Jeff Sessions struck down Obama's transgender prison policy. And this is crazy. Get a load of this. President Barack Obama, and I remember covering this when it happened, apparently has a policy for federal inmates or federal prisons that would allow men to move into women's prisons if they claimed to identify as a female. Can't see how that could go wrong. I was going to say, what could possibly go wrong with that? Let me tell you something. (laughs) Here's the story. It's interesting how the, the, the left denies science in certain cases, but but you know, <laughs> the global warming okay. settled science. But, but but see, okay, if you are born with not not let me be perfectly honest here. If you are born with a man's plumbing, you know what I'm talking about. This is a family show. You're you're a man. You're a male. If you are born with women's plumbing, you are a female. Period. That's right. That's it. Two genders or two. That's Even it. the giants of old were male or female. Okay, and, and if you have to have a manual to decide which which one you you know where you fit in, all right, you need to hit your knees and pray because you got some real problems up there. You're fighting some demons or something. That's exactly what it is. It was a. It's been classified as a mental disorder by the Professional Psychological Association through the DSMs, uh, which is the manuals that they put out to diagnose and, and for uh, psychologists and psychiatrists to uh, see the symptoms and diagnose, it was always known as gender dysmorphia. Same thing with homosexuality. From 1974 and before, homosexuality was in the same DSM as a mental disorder. But now, you know, it apparently is a constitutional right. But Jeff Sessions, putting his foot down, uh, turning around the order that Finally. U.S. prisoners are allowed to uh, switch gender prisons based on how they feel. I mean, that might work. Gender prisons? <laughs> okay, gender do we identity. have to, we have to go through this again? You, you, you got a dangling participle? You're a guy. You don't, you're a woman. End of story. Deal with it. That's All right, right, this is the Hagman Report. We're going to be right back. Leslie Ann Stoffel, by the way, uh, in, in, in Jerusalem. Yep. Right there. A lady with a lot of guts and a lot of courage, a lot of tenacity, and a lot of truth coming right at you. Network breaks. Stay right where you're at. Tuesday, May 15th, 2018, the Hagman Report on fire. We're taking no prisoners. And that goes for our next guest as well, Leslie Ann Stoffel. Leslie Ann Stoffel, she is a Canadian pro-Israel advocate and blogger. She's very active in this capacity on Facebook and Twitter, as of right now anyway, of course, because we know how Facebook and Twitter uh, hate Israel, hate Christians. They, they hate 
anything good. But that aside, she's got over 21,000 followers. She writes for the Jewish press. She's got, she's a reporter for the Israel National News. I've been a guest on Israel National News a number of times. Mm-hmm. She's got a blog on the CIGA, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs blog, The Exchange. Leslie Ann Stoffel is a fearless, tenacious investigative reporter. She's reporting from uh, Jerusalem where President Trump, the, 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 finally, a president with the integrity and character and the cojones to do the right thing, to take the, the embassy, the United States embassy, and move it from the sewage pit of Tel Aviv to Jerusalem where it belongs, the capital of Israel. Don't forget, God years bless. ago, yeah. Congress passed a law right. to make that happen. And every six months it was kicked down the road and kicked down the road. And finally, President Donald Trump says, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do it now. And uh, I, I want to thank, look, and we firmly, the Hagman Report firmly stands behind the fact that Israel is God's land. God holds title deed to the land of Israel. You, you want to fight the, the the dogmatic issues on that? Well, that's that, that's up to you. Here with us is Leslie Ann Stoffel, just a, a star, a star, uh, a list guest. We're so lucky to have Leslie Ann Stoffel from Jer- Jerusalem. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, you guys. I'm so happy to see you again. Uh, happy to have you back again. So you're reporting from. From Israel, I'm just curious. Uh, help me with the math. What time is it there? It's about two thirty in the morning. Oh, and, and you're still upright and talking to us. God bless you. Thank you for your gift of time. You're welcome. Um, if you don't mind, what's going on over there? Can you can you kind of give us through your eyes? You've seen so much. You you're part of history. Seventieth anniversary of Israel's existence. Now the the embassy has been moved and. Ah, uh, you know, praise God. But having said that, what's what's truly going on on the ground over there? How? I mean, just start wherever you want to. Well, there's so much going on. First of all, as you said, the the embassy dedication was yesterday, and um, so we had that, which was very very exciting. We had before that, we had Jerusalem Day, where everybody was. You know, going through the streets celebrating the 67, 1967 liberation of Jerusalem from the Jordanians in that war. So there was that. And then they had the uh, Eurovision um, singing contest and Israel won that. So there was all this really fun, happy stuff going on at the same time. Hamas called for a huge influx of um, terrorists onto the Gaza border way down in the south. Um, and then they bring the women and the children in to go in front of the terrorists so that the women and children and hopefully the young people and whatever will get killed and hurt. And then the terrorists can infiltrate into Israel and they want to you know, of course, kill and hurt Israelis who live along the border. I'm in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm in Jerusalem, but you know, if they got through, they could very well make it up here. I'm sure. Um, and, so, and Leslie, thanks. I'm glad you brought this up. Sorry to just jump in on you like this, but 
this is a point we need to make sure that we uh, talk about a little bit because some of the reporting that we see from obviously the the media who just can't stand Donald Trump and anything and anybody he su- who supports him and they're using this issue to vilify Israel but this is one thing that they never point out the fact that Islam the terrorist aspects of Islam and Hamas and others always use children to carry out their attacks yeah. so when you see reports in American press that say you know Israelis IDF slaughtering innocent children you know on Gaza border mm-hmm. These children are given weapons, they're given explosives, given grenades, and told to storm the lines. And nobody ever makes those distinctions when they're reporting on this. That's exactly right. And it goes into that jihadic, the jihadist Islamic teachings where they simply will do anything, um, put their children in harm's way, whatever. So they, you know, if you look at their culture, they have no regard for life. I mean, look how they treat women. Look how they treat uh, little girls with FGM. They have what the so-called honor killings. They kill. Uh, they throw gays off buildings. Um, so it, it just stands to reason they don't um, they don't value life at all like we do in the West. And so this is the, the real difficulty Israel has because by, by accepting the so-called Palestinians, this is all just the global jihad. It has different names. The Palestinians, the Hamas, it's all different names, but it's all the global jihad that we're all looking at all over the West now. Even in um, in Canada now, we're facing this too. Um, but, um, the, the, oh gosh, I just lost my train of thought there. I was just talking about um, the, the children and uh, how they... Oh, Israel is on, has put themselves on, on the same moral equivalency as this terror group. So that's why when you hear the, the Turkish president say, oh, Israel is a terror state and, you know, so Israel is fighting, um, it's like, it's like boxing in, in into a shadow because you can't, you're dealing with a, a, an entity such as Hamas or any of these jihadic groups, they don't fight on the same level as we do. They don't have the same ethics uh, about war and fighting as we do. So anyway, yeah, that's what I went kind of on a tirade there, but that's what Israel is sort of up against. It is, and, uh, you know, some people say that they show amazing patience and restraint in the face of this. Uh, and you have 35, that's the reports we're getting here, anywhere from 35 to 40,000 protesters who have been trying to, who have been storming the border. Do you think that mm-hmm. it's more, uh, less? Is it really that many? Uh, thousands, tens of I thousands? I saw, I saw a video of it and it looks like about that many. I mean, that's how many it looks like to me. Um, and you see, Iran is financed by Iran, Hamas. Sorry, Hamas is a, a proxy of Iran. So it kind of also stands to reason why they're doing this now because President Trump sort of humiliated Iran in a way with this letting go of the Iran deal and then bringing in the embassy here to Jerusalem and um, so I can see behind the scenes that Iran is probably sort of pushing this forward and Hamas is losing, you know they're losing um, they 
there are a lot of millionaires in in got in, in the Gaza Strip, and yet the people suffer and don't have infrastructure and whatever. Although there are a lot of people that do quite well there as well, but it's sort of just another way to, you know, act crazy like jihadists do, and then play the victim role. It, it just goes over and over and over again, and it, and it's it's actually quite tiresome. And it's crazy to me, it's insanity that the sort of mainstream media buys into all this and goes along with it every single time. You know, Leslie, uh, uh, the responsibility for the deaths in Gaza, the Gaza Strip, exists squarely with Hamas. The White House has blamed Hamas, this terrorist organization that governs the Strip for stoking violent protests. And these aren't protests, these are attacks against Israel that have goaded Israel's security forces. They use women and children as, as human shields and targets and such. Um, and this is despicable. Two hours ago, the uh, White House came out with a, res- with a response about the very issue you're referencing. So, And the money. Uh, you yeah, mentioned the money. That, that you know they don't have uh, basic resources and this and that, but look how much terrorist families are paid. Every time a terrorist is killed, Hamas pays families, you know, six figures and uh, yeah, and they have these this uh, hierarchy of payments that they set up based on the level of attacks that you commit, and if you die mm-hmm. or not, and all that money could be used to better the area that they're in to provide the food and resources and things to make mm-hmm. society and communities better. But they pay mm-hmm. terrorists with that money. Yeah, and it won't stop until uh, I don't see when it's ever going to happen that the West wakes up and and puts a stop to this insanity because it it's the, the West, the gullible West and what, you know, the intelligentsia, so to speak, has just continued with this and gone on and on and on. The money comes from Europe, the money comes from Canada, the money comes from the U.S. and is paid to these terrorists to, 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 um, pay, uh, to these jihadists to pay their people to kill Jews, we're talking about right now, but the infidel all over the world. I mean, this is a worldwide thing. It just gets amplified here um, because Israel is, of course, you know, treated as the, the bad guy here, and they're really not. Well, it's interesting, Leslie, because the media is, is the media is, is really uh, propagating a lot of this. The, the Hill, which I don't agree with their their ninety percent of what they say, or at least their take on things. They reported that the most recent Hamas provocations, having 40,000 uh, uh, Gaza, in my view, terrorists try to tear down the border fence and enter Israel with Molotov cocktails and other improvised weapons, are part of a repeated Hamas tactic called the dead baby, dead, dead baby strategy. The goal of Hamas is to have Israel kill as many uh, of these Gaza residents as possible so that the headline always Headlines always begin and often end with the body count, uh, focusing on children yeah. and, and women. And this is what the media does because mm-hmm. of their anti-Semitic stance and their, and their, their un, un, untruthfulness. And so this is mm-hmm. what you're seeing as well, right? I mean, you're, you're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's why, that's really why I got involved in a lot, a big reason why I got involved in all of this was because the, the lies from the media really, really got on my nerves. And I really wanted to, to find out the truth for myself and try to bring it back to people that 
are brainwashed and fed BS by the mainstream media. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I want to ask you this. We saw the celebrations, the, uh, I guess the finalization of, uh, putting the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv into Jerusalem. And we had Netanyahu say to about President Trump, they're so happy that we have a strong leader like President Trump. We've seen their naming parks and streets after the president. Is that the overall sentiment with the Israeli people about President Trump? Is that, you know, he is a, yeah. a great strong leader that is a friend of Israel? Yes, yes, they're very, very happy with him. Very happy. It was so celebratory here. People, just everyday Israelis, I have a Druze friend who used to work in the Knesset. He doesn't any longer, but he was so happy. And uh, the, the my my Israeli mom that I stay with here, she's um, so happy about it. And she said she watched she did watch it on the TV and she said she cried like it was they she said Trump says what he's going to do and he does it and so yeah they they're very very happy with him we are do you get the feeling I mean I I would love to trade places with you uh, to be there myself do you get the feeling that you're part of something much bigger yes. than history I mean yes and you guys talk about the faith part um it really feels like there's um, just a, a, a real completion feeling, like a, a coming together of, of, of things even in the undercurrent of the, of the atmosphere or something. I don't know. But also, you know, it seems like with all the insanity going on on the Gaza border and all these other things, it's so peaceful here. Like I was just in town tonight in the city. Oh, I actually interviewed Laura Laura Loomer tonight. Oh, yeah, God bless her too. She's yeah. still there. She's still here. Okay. Yeah, you guys could get a hold of her too. It, she's been. She, I, yeah, she was up north when she was up north when all the the rockets were going oh, on and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So she's got some stories. Yeah. Wow. Well, mm-hmm. well, if you see her again, give her our best. But but she. Uh, she refused, I, I know, I know that she refused to hide her Star of David when she approached the Temple Mount, which, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're encouraged to do. And I thought that was, boy, that, that, that's, uh, that's a great, pretty gutsy thing to do. And I, I, I applaud her for that. But, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so, you, so you're on the ground, you're interviewing people. Anything that we should know about that maybe others aren't hitting on? Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, uh, that you'd like to. Well, I think I think that the the thing about um President Trump, how he gets such bad um news in the United States and just to let you know and let the people know from the United States there that he's very very loved here and um so that's something and Laura was actually bringing that up also. And uh, and the other um thing we just brought up too which is needs to sort of be emphasized, which is this: the Hamas are the ones who are responsible for the death of their people because they're telling them to, if, if somebody's telling me to go up and walk up to the IDF soldiers and I've got Molotov cocktails and so that, I'm going to expect to be shot at or hurt or something. So, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And and also to let people know too, like I said earlier too, which is it's very peaceful here in Jerusalem. Very peaceful and it's I feel very, very safe. So, um 
so yeah, so there's those th- those things. Um, yeah, let me ask you this: when when you hear those rocket sirens or get reports of, like we saw in the Golan Heights, uh, what last week? How how does mm-hmm. the mood change in the country? Do people understand oh. that it's you know? Uh, yeah. Okay. So we were or? we yeah we were a little worried about that. Now that's quite a ways away from us again, but it could come down here where we are if things escalated. How now? I have to say that my Israeli mom that I'm staying with, she was quite nervous that night because she, of course, has relatives. Um, her sister has a grandson in the army. Just knew she has a son high up in the army. Um, you know, there's all many, many uh, family members in the armed in the army. So she was quite nervous. But you know, I said I it just inside my spirit and my intuition, I thought you know I really don't think things are going to escalate here. I could sense that um, I- Iran is weakening, and I think because Donald, President Trump is so strong. They don't want to go up against him. Their own people are revolting right now against them. And with the sanctions, it's going to make them poorer. So I was actually right in my assessment, and things did calm down. So, yeah, we were we were a little bit nervous there for a bit. Understandably so. And in, in, my, in my view, in our view, collectively, uh, here at the studio to, to the person, you are incredibly brave to be out there, to be doing what you're doing, and to be, uh, uh, to be bearing witness to this, uh, in history. And of course, our guest is Leslie Ann Stoffel. Uh, Leslie, tell people where they can find you on the internet to read updates and to see what you're doing. What's the best way? Well, if they go to my webpage there, um, therealclearisrael.org. Now, I've been so busy because I do uh, work for United with Israel here as well. And um, so I, but I, my, I'm always updating my Twitter, my Facebook, um, Instagram, um, all of that. So they can find all of my, um, all of my social media stuff is on my webpage just in case, you know, they can't find it other, under my name, Leslie Ann Stoffel or Real Clear Israel. And, um, I'm also on gabandminds.com, but I, I always forget to update them. But I'm, I was trying to move away from Facebook and Twitter because conservatives are being so stymied on there, so I didn't know really what to do. But I'm still on those, all of those. Okay. And I'm on Gab as well. Uh, so we're going to have to hook up there. I, I forget to update that too, so I, I yeah. get that. There's and so just, many to do. Yeah, exactly. TheRealClearIsrael.org. That's your website. Yeah. And I just yeah. found you there on, on Twitter, and I'm now following you. Yeah, well, so, oh, thank you. Yeah, and, and I would urge everyone to follow uh, re- at, at Real Clear Israel on Twitter. Um, yeah. Okay, We've, we only have a few minutes left. I know it's almost 3 o'clock in the morning where you're at, and, and we thank you so much for taking the time out. Uh, you're talking to a world, worldwide audience. Uh, what else would you like? Your your followers, the people of this, listeners and viewers of this show, didn't know about this historic week. Any any uh, anything that really presents itself? Well, um, I just as I'm Canadian, so I just want to thank the American people for voting President Trump in. 
because all the 10 years I've been doing this advocacy and studying about Israel and coming here, it feels like all of it was for, you know, okay, well, it wasn't all for nothing because look at what's happened now. President Trump has really come through and this has them, I think, like Dr. Mordecai Kadar, if you guys can ever get him on your show, he's great. He said that this would actually strengthen the Israel's ties, and it has Israel's ties with the Arab with their Arab neighbors because they see they respond to strength. Okay, and so yeah, indeed. Now, do you think the alliance we've seen between Saudi Arabia and Israel? is one of a mutual survival pact against Iran? And do you trust that in the long term? Because we know they've been enemies for a long time. It makes me nervous because Saudi Arabia is a Sharia country. So it does make me a little nervous. But at the same time, I'm glad for it in a way because perhaps they will have to work together um, you know, to, to, for, as you say, mutual survival. And it's, um, uh, what can you say? Yeah, I, 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 it makes me a bit nervous, but I think it's, it's necessary. And, uh, for right now, yeah. Okay. And, and last question I have. The peace deal that is being worked out between the U.S., Israel, and Palestine that's being talked about as kind of the next hurdle, the next accomplishment they want to try to lock down. Mm-hmm. How, how do, how's, what do you think about that? And do you think there's more hope now than ever before that this can be done under the current leadership? Well, I personally don't think there can ever be a so-called Palestinian state, okay? There never was a Palestine, so there should never be, it, 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 it's, they, the, the Palestinians called themselves Palestinians in 1964. You know, to, to rid Israel of the Jews and get rid of Israel. So there are many, many other solutions to this. Um, and Dr. Mordecai Kadar, Dr. Martin Sherman, and others, I think there should be like six solutions to it. You know, ask people, uh, Dr. Martin Sherman says, you know, the non-combatant types should be paid to leave the area. Um, Dr. Mordecai Kadar says, give them sovereignty, give the tribal, give the tribes sovereignty over the certain areas they have already in Judea and Samaria, um, give the ones that, that, you know, screen certain ones and allow them to live within Israel proper after they annex, uh, Judea and Samaria completely. Uh, there's so many different ways to do it, but there should never be a so-called Palestinian state where they want it in Judea and Samaria because Israel would be something like nine miles wide and missiles could hit the aircraft at the airport in Tel Aviv. So they should, it's the high ground, they should never have it. And it's its the global jihad, you can't give them a state, they don't want one. You know, that is perhaps the, the most concise and cogent mm-hmm. statement I've ever heard about the uh, so-called two-state solution in Palestinian territory, and thank you for that, because a lot of people, what you just said there, a lot of people really don't comprehend, and I think it's so so critical and so valuable. Uh, there there really never was a Palestine. Like, yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of this, uh, the, a lot of the things, as I've studied Dr. Martin Sherman extensively, and Dr. Mordecai Kadar, 
So if you can ever get those those two guys on, they're great. In fact, John just wrote down both names and Kadar, Kadar, Mordecai, yeah. Kadar. Okay. And uh, as a matter of fact, Leslie, if you don't mind, at some point when you have a chance, just uh, uh, forward the uh, contact information if you have it or the names yep. to John. For sure, for okay, sure. Perfect. I've got their emails. I can send it. Okay. Uh, with that, we're at the we're approaching the, uh, the the network break, and I know that you it's been a long day and late night for you, and I want to thank you for giving us your update from Israel, from Jerusalem, from uh, during this most historic time in, in really in our planet's history. And I, and I want to say just thank you for everything you've, everything you've done and your gracious gift of time tonight. Uh, oh, you're welcome. I'm so pleased. I'm just so happy to see you guys again. And thank you for having me. Well, you know what? Thanks you've got an on. open invitation anytime, Leslie. And, and, and you just just be safe out there. <laughs> I will. I will. All right. God, God bless, bless you. you. Okay. Okay. The shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. All right. Folks, we're approaching a network break. That was Leslie Ann Stoffel from uh, uh, the RealClearIsrael.org. What an incredible, what an incredible lady uh, to really uh, talk with her and to get to know her. She's just a fantastic person. But historic, biblical times. You're living in the yeah. in prophetic times. The prophecies of Zechariah and Isaiah. And what's the other one? I'm sure there's another one in there. Zechariah. Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Daniel. Daniel. And, uh, this, you know, all this activity over there has me going through some of these older books like Zbigniew Brzezinski's The Grand Chessboard, Henry Kissinger's World Order. I want to see what they had said about these conflicts and about what they foresaw as far as how these were going to play out because I know these world planners, the heads of the trilateral commissions and, uh, Council on Foreign Relations, definitely have this and will use this as part of their globalist agenda to implement a new world order uh, as they do with every crisis never let a good crisis go to wakes so when we come back daniel list the dark journalist will be our guest and we have after that stan deo joining us for his last Man, week before his fuck trip to lot, africa folks. so don't go anywhere Today it's Tuesday, May fifteenth, twenty eighteen, primary day in many states, including Pennsylvania. Hope you voted. If not, get out and vote. And uh, let's vote sensibly. Let's keep Donald Trump uh, going. Let's give him, let's give him all the the possibilities. By the way, you've got one more day until tomorrow. Doug five at healthmasters.com. Go to HagmanReport.com on the upper right. There's a uh, an image of Health Masters. Okay, five percent off site wide. This does not happen, but once, maybe twice a year. Health Masters, even for kits. Look at it. Look, if you're watching this, look on your screen. There it is. Health Masters, five percent off site wide. So take advantage of this. Healthmasters.com. That's Healthmasters.com. And and you know what? While you're at it. Send an email to Ted, say, I heard you on the Hagman Report, or Hagman Report sent me here. But I'm going to tell you, this is some of the best stuff, the attention factor stuff. You know why I'm so laser-like right now? Because I took a half a no, I, I was going to half say a bottle. bottle. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, the attention factor works. There, All of their nutritional supplements, in my view, work. They're incredible products. That's healthmasters.com. 5% off 
site-wide. It only happens once or twice a year. Now, also, yes, redpillexpo.org, redpillexpo.org. You can get tickets to this event with a whole list of fantastic speakers. you got to use promo code HAGMAN in the checkout. And when you do that, now until the end of the month, you get a free 2017 10-disc DVD of the 14 speakers who were there last year. This year you have speakers like G. Edward Griffin, Lord Christopher Modkin, Patrick Wood, Larry Pratt, Matt Shea, who we met. He's a senator or a, a state senator or representative out of Washington. Um, so many more. I mean, the list is, they're adding to it each and every week, it seems like. Uh, Debbie Bacadulupi, she was Baca a guest Dulupi. on our show. Um, Cynthia McKenney, and so much more. There's even an awesome trailer on redpillexpo.org. American Rancher, Lavoy Finicum, Dead yeah. Man Talking. Stood up against the government tyranny and paid the ultimate price when he was shot dead on January 26, 2016. His story will debut at the opening ceremonies on Thursday evening on June 21st. So in addition to all the great speakers, you get to see for firsthand the first airing of Lavoy, Dead Man Talking, and the trailers on Red Pill Expo. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of things. I want to mention uh, earlier the first first part, first segment I was talking about uh, the again the documentary the the rot that is being uh, uh, promoted by the Council on uh, American Islamic Relations Care, and, and then of course is featured on Al Jazeera. It's 48 minutes of just BS, featuring of course the congressional Muslim infiltrators Andre Carson and Keith Ellison, and the subject of Hamas and Hezbollah came up during our last uh, guest appearance understand that Hamas is a terrorist organization that was founded in 1987. It's received funding from Saddam Hussein, receives funding from Iran. It's a Barack proxy. Obama. Exactly. Well, in my yeah, but it's a proxy of Iran. Now, that's different than Hezbollah, but think about Hamas, of course, in the context of Andre Carson and Keith Ellison and the Muslim Brotherhood, because Hamas uh, is, in fact, a... Uh, uh, one of the wings of the Muslim Brotherhood, in their own words, and of course, their their mission is to quote liberate Palestine and quote among others. So you've got this Islamic infiltration in the United States, which is different than Hezbollah, of course. But bottom line here, you heard Leslie and Stoffel talking about this. Now, uh, this past weekend, I, I was had the pleasure of having some dialogue with a gentleman by the name of John Barber. John Barber, of course, you might remember him if you're as old as I am. Back in the, I think it was 1979, he featured Real People. Remember that series, Real People? It was really the first reality show. And if you go back, you can see John Barber. He's got a Hollywood uh, star, you know, star in the Walk of Fame and all that. I mean, John Barber. He does? Oh, I mean, this guy is like, you know, he's a... He, Wow. Okay, real people. He was. He had a part in uh, parts in CSI and parts in uh, just a number of films. But in his own right, he was a stand-up comedian from uh, Toronto and uh, he hailed from Toronto, came to the United States, and a stand-up comedian. And then uh, he was at the number one talk show in Los Angeles. And uh, I, I, but just a tremendous guy. We're going to have him on our show here in the not too distant future. But the reason I brought his name up is I was watching a couple of his interviews, and the best interview, the best interview of John Barber, and his claim to fame is the second assassination of JFK, talking about the garrison 
investigation, Jim Garrison, the DA of New Orleans. But by far the best interview of John Barber was conducted by the dark journalist, Dan Litz. Okay, now i got to tell you something. All right. The dark journalist is cool. He's a cool dude. <laughs> and the guy is intelligent beyond belief. You don't say too many people are cool. I, I'm telling you, this guy, dark journalist is is a cool dude. And he's smart. Intelligent. And he knows people. And I wouldn't want him on my butt if, if you know... Look, I'm an investigator, okay? I, I will follow, I will follow a scent to the ends of the earth if I have to. But I got a feeling that, uh, uh, the dark journalist is, uh, you know, I, I, I may not be a match for the dark journalist. I say that because he's our next guest. He's, he's on right now with us. Dark, dark journalist. Yeah. Dark, dark journalist.com. Thank you for that. Uh, again a cool dude and he's got a lot of great interviews does a lot of great work subscribe to his various well his you YouTube, channel. To his YouTube channel yep. you can subscribe to for his newsletter and you can subscribe to become a member of dark journalist I, I love getting his newsletter I do I just love getting it again Mr. Cool Dude and, and he dresses like it's, it's, it's well take a look at him let's bring him on dark journalist welcome to the Hagman Report Hey, it's great to see you guys. How are you? Well, it's great to be seen. We're fine. And it's great to see you as well. Living up to your name, the dark journalist. Uh, <laughs> by the way, thanks for doing that interview with John Barber. He's going to be our guest, I think, next week, maybe. But uh, wow. what a fantastic interview. Man, I, you know, I, I listened to it twice. And I know he's been interviewed by, by everybody from Johnny Carson, though. But you by far did the best interview I've, I've, I've heard. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, no, I appreciate all. it. John Barber is an incredible uh, person, has incredible not only entertainment background, but his whole background as a documentary filmmaker. And uh, for him to get Garrison when he did, you know, kind of prime time and bring him out like that um, is rare because Garrison didn't really go that deep after the JFK assassination trial. He sort of laid low and... Um, you know, uh, Barbara's film, in a way, is a real watershed moment, I think, in that whole thing about bringing Garrison out because it's it's right around the time of the JFK movie. So it's it's part of that wave that happened in the early 90s. You, you, you asked him a question, and, and this really struck me. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly what the question was. I don't recall, but, but his answer uh, about really... Uh, the the depiction of where we are today in America versus where we were back then the, the parallels are so are very similar and, and one of the questions you asked him about Jim Garrison uh, was uh, or at least referenced it, 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 perhaps in the film was uh, do you believe that uh, uh, the president runs runs the country and his response again I don't know whether you pointed this out or but it was showcased within your interview. His response from, or Mr. Garrison's response as pointed out by John Barber was, I didn't until November 22nd, 1963. And I think that's, that says a lot. And, and really where we are today, I think it's, uh, wow, some, some oh, absolutely. Parallels. Absolutely. Well, that is, um, you know, Peter Dale Scott has been tracking these things for so many years and, uh, who politically, I think you really, you can get so much from his work over time after doing it for 40 years. There's this body of work. 
And uh, his main point on this is that the Kennedy assassination is the first deep state revolt against the White House. So that's a critical thing because before that, they had kind of left the White House alone as much as they had come into power predominantly uh, after World War II in a much bigger fashion. Um, but the idea of moving against the White House is, is a totally different order of business and uh, to take their kind of executive action policy. So that really gets us to, when we look at the situation now, 55 years later, uh, when we look at the CIA being out of control and also trying to remove a sitting president with different means uh, before he even got into office, I think you're still looking at the CIA as, as more of a extra-constitutional force than what their original mandate was. And interestingly enough, uh, Harry Truman would agree with this because it was a month after the JFK assassination that he gave an editorial to the Washington Post that said, I created the CIA, but that thing that it is now is totally beyond their mandate and it needs to either be scrapped or reformed. And uh, there's this very interesting story about Alan Dulles, who was the CIA director um, who'd been in office from 53 to 61, but Kennedy fired. And Dulles comes to him that night after the, the editorial is written. He goes to St. Louis, because he flies down there. And he says, you have to basically make a retraction on this. And Harry Truman says, look, I'm old. You know, <laughs> you can't do anything to me, so I'm not going to retract it. And it's a real kind of sore spot for them even to this day. And, you know, uh, that that's so interesting. The history so fascinating with everything surrounding the JFK assassination. And just even looking at your website here, it reminded me of something that just a few weeks ago happened. We saw the president release a number of JFK files. And I don't know if you wanted to jump right into this. This is where I want to go. But did you get a chance to go over any of those uh, released JFK files? And from what I understand, not all of them were released as they should have been right. according to you, the law. So You've got it exactly right, yeah. There's a mandate, actually, in Congress from 1992 called the JFK Records Act. And so we were supposed to have all the records on October 26, 2017. And um, Trump, that day, he got a visit from the FBI director and the CIA director, and they both said, you can't let him out. And so Trump had originally made a tweet saying, oh, everything's coming out, we're going to get transparency on this. And people on the inside who know Trump actually uh, say that he has a great interest in getting those files out, or he did before he got into office. So um, I actually was live broadcasting that day because I was anticipating all the records coming out, but they blocked them. So um, we were looking at a situation where they said, we're going to do, quote, rolling releases, where every few months we'll let out a little bit more, because the CIA in particular needs to clean up these files from anything that's important in terms of methods and personnel, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, because the idea is that 25 years after the act and some 55 years after the assassination, they don't have any more active agents Involved, and certainly sources and methods uh, <laughs> must have changed, along with the fact that some of those countries, like the Soviet Union, don't even exist anymore, and uh, the leadership is different in Cuba. So none of those, the old kind of standby things they could rely on, were there anymore. So it's just a plain cover-up. And it's interesting that you started the show with Garrison because it's been speculated by a number of JF JFK researchers that in those files are the garrison files. We know that there's garrison files in there, but specifically the ones where they interrupted his investigation of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And um, 
what happened was, you know, Victor Marchetti, who was the CIA assistant to the director, he wrote a book saying that they had done all these kind of backdoor things in order to disrupt garrisons looking into their activities around the JFK assassination. That, for me, is the key file. And there's a, a Washington Post reporter who, in fact, uh, named Jefferson Morley, who has sued the CIA for those records. So, uh, and for records uh, about someone named George Janides, who uh, was in charge of the Oswald Project, because he found out that outside of this batch that Trump was talking about, there's another batch that no one even knows about, because at the time when they made the edict and the law out of Congress for these records to be released, no one even knew that this guy existed. He was discovered in the late 90s. So, um, there's a lot that they're holding back there, and interestingly enough, when they came up to April 26th, the idea was the rest of those records were supposed to be out completely. And uh, they only let out less than a third of the records. So the rest are just sitting there until 2021, which was the date in uh, Trump's pre presidential memorandum, which I have over here. And I thought it was very odd because, um, you know, Trump had basically come up against the deep state on this. And I think it was a good thing, you know, on, on his part to say we're going to put the records out. But I think he better do it in full, because if he doesn't, then they, they still have this kind of advantage of hiding out. And if he's having problems getting control of his own house uh, in terms of the intelligence agencies, this is just the tool that he needs, I would say, to get them in line and, and get them in line for some kind of reform uh, for when they go outside of their main date, which is something that they do on a regular basis. I mean, a lot of people would be surprised to know that the CIA has their own Air Force. Uh, you know, this is definitely too much of an independent force. And uh, I think the regular reins of the country need to kind of pull that back in. 100%. Yeah. I didn't know the CIA had its own Air Force. Not surprising. <laughs> when you say that, a, a visual in my head of a bunch of DARPA Army drones and, and whatnot come to mind. But Yes. Um, do you think, unless we don't have to continue on this uh, train of thought uh, topic, but do you think that there's anything in those files that would provide any clarity, more so than what we have into the assassination of JFK? Well, a couple of the things that we found out there, one of them was that the mayor of Dallas is actually a CIA asset. And we knew he was the brother, uh, Mayor Cabell. And uh, his brother was the deputy to Alan Dulles, who was the CIA director that Kennedy fired. But let's remember again, in the history of the CIA, you know, why Dulles got fired. It was because they tried to second-guess Kennedy into invading Cuba. So, you know, these agencies have their own agenda, and it's outside of the public's interest, in a sense. It's something that they've decided to do. You know, they're unelected, they're appointed, and they can be removed. So uh, I think that it's important to go back there and look at what exactly the issue was when you get to the Kennedy assassination, because it's fundamental uh, covert action versus an overt public state. And the overt public status has a problem with the covert action wing ever since that event. So it's almost like over and over again we go back to it, and here we are 55 years later talking about those agencies holding back the records. I mean, obviously, it would lead anyone, never mind someone like me who's researched it, but it would lead anyone to believe that they were hiding something. I think that's absolutely essential. Um, so the fact that it's not so much that in the files it's going to say, 
you know, the CIA arranged the assassination, but it might show enough linkages, for example, to someone like Oswald to the Central Intelligence Agency. It might show their efforts to cover up after the fact. Uh, we have quite a trail of that, people who've looked into the case. So for those reasons and for the, the sake of transparency, if you're going to have a country that operates in the open, uh, you start with the assassination of the president 55 years ago. I think the sensitivity around the issue and the reasons for hiding it for two decades are over. I, I, yeah, I have to agree with you on that. Uh, wow. All right. Very interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's uh, so much history there, so many angles from the mob angle to the, you know, Lyndon Johnson to the CIA and Dulles Brothers and George Bush aspect. I don't know that we'll ever get the the truth on this side of, of life, but it is probably, uh, you know, it is up there in American political history, the biggest mystery to this day, despite what settled science and history. So. But I, th- I think that day, that, that day changed everything, yes. you know, in terms of, um, it, it just changed everything. It, it changed the course of American history, of course, and uh, I'm just so fascinated. But, but folks, again, um, dark journalist, follow his, subscribe to his YouTube, ch- YouTube channel, and uh, he does the best interviews out there, second to none. Um, Daniel, where, where do you want to start? Where is your focus today? I mean, we've got a coup going on, in, in still going on against Donald Trump. We've got the the geopolitical issues with Iran, of course, the embassy move. Um, we, we can go on and on, but, but where's your focus at right now? I think you can call it a kind of deep state real politic, which is they want all the marbles. There's no question about that, but I do think we're looking at a case where they'll settle for what they can get. Mm. And um, I think what they're trying to get is a war with Iran. And I think they're trying to appeal to uh, Trump's sense of fair play or, or sense of being a winner by luring him into this pose. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of things about the Iran deal that come to mind, and we can look at it and say there's a, there's a lot of problems with that deal that they made, uh, including the cash Exchanges and some of the things that went on. But a lot of these deals, even going back to uh, Carter making peace with Israel and Egypt, a lot of those things do kind of happen, unfortunately. So um, I think scrapping the deal outright was a dangerous thing to do from the perspective that it leads us back to that area. It gets us back into that fighting pose against Iran, insurgents against Syria, and all the rest of it. So I don't think it was a good move, and I think it came about as a result of um, the Bolton-style influence going on in the Trump White House right now. Uh, I do feel like, you know, the the neocons are making a comeback, and there was a fantastic article out recently by Pat Buchanan, I suggest everyone check out, which really goes over what we could possibly gain by going into a war footing against Iran, it's an incredible, um, you know, it's an incredibly bad move, and for a few different reasons. The most important reason is that Russia is so aligned with Iran, and this is another thing where, like, the Mueller probe and none of this stuff really makes sense, because if Russia is aligned with Iran, you know, if I'm sitting there and I'm like someone who, uh, a person who watches MSNBC or whatever, and they've been saying, well, Trump is with Russia and they, they're in collusion and all that, so why is he threatening Iran then? <laughs> so, you know, a lot of these narratives just don't make any, any sense when you boil it down on the mainstream media side. It's all 
you know, they're, they're playing, uh, these games about the semantics on top. Um, and their whole game is to keep that Russian narrative alive no matter what. It's definitely on life support. Um, but I think anytime you appoint a special prosecutor, like a Mueller type guy, you know, it's a dangerous thing, not from the perspective that they can find, uh, evidence of Russian collusion. But if you go far back enough into Trump's history, going into real estate and stuff, they might dig out any little thing they can to make him look bad. And I think that's what their objective is now. So it's a very hollow uh, pursuit. And, you know, I think what they're looking at is just constantly keeping him on the defensive and worrying about his activities in the 80s and 90s, which really don't pretend a whole lot to, to the situation we're in now. That's the game that they've played because they lost at the ballot box. You're exactly right. And of course, this is, to me, this is a witch hunt. This is a, an investigative body looking at a person in search of a crime, which is totally backwards of the way we do it in the the American justice system. Uh, but, but, but you know, again, the similarities to, to the, uh, uh, if you go back 54 years, but not 55 almost, you know, the similarities are, are, are incredible. You've got, Really, an out of control Department of Justice, not out of control FBI. You've got the corruption at the very top. Uh, you've got this, it was weaponized under Obama and arguably prior to that, but, but certainly weaponized against Donald Trump under Obama. And then of course, you know, now you're, you've got some neocon influence into the geopolitical arena. Well, it's an explosive, pardon the pun, mix of, of a, a lot of bad things, you know, could, could, could come of this. And I think you're referencing Pat Buchanan's article from May 7th, I think, Don't Trash the Nuclear Deal. Is that the one you're referencing? Yes. Okay. There's a lot of good fundamental points in there. And someone like uh, Buchanan, you know, he's been in presidential administrations. He's been around since the 60s. He kind of has a good feel on the ground for what's a good deal and what isn't. And what he sees in that article and what I've seen from Bolton, who was part of the Bush administration, let's not forget, um, and, you know, what we've seen with people like Nikki Haley, when she goes off on her own and says we're going to do sanctions against Russia, and Trump has to say, no, you know, I didn't say that. They, they're working independently, and they're running with the ball down the field before they even check in with him. It's, it's a really interesting situation. Um, Lindsey Williams, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Lindsey Graham, he, he's part of that also. You know, he's just always working in there, trying to find an angle to go after Russia or Syria and make Trump look bad. Um, So, you know, those are Republicans. (laughs) So I think that Trump gets into the situation where he's surrounded by Democrats and Republicans, but the last thing you want to do is turn to neocons. Uh, And I'm afraid there's a little bit of that coming in now. Um, You know, I I expect Condi Rice to show up at any moment. (laughs) I'm a new member of the team. (laughs) We've had enough of that. and, you know, I think Haspel and Bolton and Pompeo doesn't come out of that, but he's acting like that. And all of a sudden, you know, anyone is a, everyone is a thug, you know, like the Venezuelan president is a thug, the Iranian regime is a thug. And there's no doubt that there are angles where we can see, you know, if you want to look at what those governments do, we, we don't approve of what they do. But at the same time, you know, that kind of rhetoric sounds like before we bombed Saddam Hussein on a phony report from the CIA about WMD. I mean, we, we have to get a better handle on the situation, I think, with the rhetoric. And the, so Pompeo's kind of a throwback on the rhetoric side, unfortunately. 
Interesting. Interesting analysis on this. You know, I go back and think about uh, the time period right before Libya, and I talked about it on my show this morning, uh, about how um, Muammar Gaddafi was really really playing nice with with uh, with Obama uh, and as a matter of fact with under Bush giving up terrorists left and right Pan Am uh, Pan Am bombers and such uh, but yes. boy you know now and then he fell from grace when he uh, started his own uh, or planned to start his own gold backed currency and of course uh, some other things and, and then uh, you know then he was worm food uh, after that so Oh, my God. Yeah, and let's remember, what's interesting about that is people would think, well, you know, when the Democrats are in power, those types of things don't happen. It's a Republican thing. You know, that's Obama taking care of Libya, bombing Libya, you know, sending in. We had no call to do that, and uh, the idea that his population was, you know, under siege, it just doesn't live up to reality. And we saw that Libya became a failed state right after that. So that is, uh, that's democratic adventurism. There's no doubt about it. And it's funny because, you know, I was referring to Bush there, but we can see whoever puts on the hat, uh, gets in there and does the same kind of stuff when it gets to the Middle East because, um, a lot of the policies are just inherited. And so much of it has to do with this kind of covert action, which the CIA started, uh, as we know, as far back as 1953. Uh, with Mossadegh, and right. we've even had presidents apologize for that, but there's this kind of strange legacy over there, um, and it's it's about oil for sure, but it's about so much more in terms of influence in that area, and I think that we need the kind of new approach, and you know, I'd like to see Trump succeed on this, which is Trump knows that the Bush approach was a failure, and even if he thought that Obama's approach with Iran is soft peddling. You don't want to revert to the Bush position. You want to move forward and be Trump, be the Make America Great guy, be the guy who does not bring us into uh, wars with with countries. You know, Iran's not Iraq. Iran has 81 million people. It has an incredibly robust uh, economy and military. It's not the kind of situation, you know, it took us, over a decade in Iraq. We're still in Afghanistan. We just can't spread it, it out that way. It doesn't work that way, especially we're in a fragile enough position ourselves. So I think that kind of advice that's coming into the president now is um, ill-advised. And I think what I'd like to see is those people have a very short visit in the White House. Well, <laughs> right. uh, to be honest. Well, yeah, and it's it's, yeah. And we have to remember. I, I think. I think all of us have to remember why we voted for Donald Trump, and uh, that wasn't, you know, part of the deal to to, to fill the, the cabinet with neocons or, or globalists, to, yeah. globalists, or to allow the globalists to stay in. So you're you're, you're right on that. Um, boy, I'll tell you, going through your website or going through your your recent series. Uh, I gotta tell you, you're, you get into some pretty deep stuff as well. The, uh, you just, correct me if I'm wrong, but you just, you, uh, finished or, or in, in, in the midst of a series, a, a video series? Yes. Uh, okay. It's ten episodes. Right. Um, it's, it's about this X steganography. I was noticing when I, I did this research over three years and, um, I call the Series X because I kept noticing that these programs that were showing up were, when it, when they would go black, they would suddenly get this 
uh, naming system hoisted on them, and they'd be called X this and X that. And as we went deeper and deeper into it, um, I went back and found things about something called the Rad Lab, which was here at MIT, actually. It's just a couple of blocks in that direction. And the Rad Lab is very fascinating because a lot of people there um, made such an incredible impact on World War II in terms of our technical prowess. But some very interesting characters, like Trump's uncle, uh, show up there. John G. Trump, who was a professor at MIT. And um, all the work they did was classified, and they split off and got rid of the Rad Lab after the war. Um, and the Rad Lab became something called Lincoln Laboratories, which, uh, you know, they make the kind of technology that we see at Pine Gap, which is the ultimate eavesdropping technology. They can listen to any phone call at anywhere uh, on the globe. So it's it's a really fascinating um, overview. As I was starting to look at it, I was finding people like Nixon and Trump being very connected. And I was like, you know, if I had heard that, I might have thought, well, that's something that somebody, you know, made up or whatever. But um, in fact, there are letters that I got out of the National Archives that have Nixon uh, talking to Trump, sending him letters in 1987 saying you have to run for president. You know, Pat predicts you're going to win. And uh, then Nixon moving to New York and those two doing this kind of charity circuit with John Connolly, who is the former governor of Texas. Um, and, you know, he, he has an interesting history because he was in the car when Kennedy was assassinated, if some people will remember that. Uh, but just very strange and interesting bedfellows going on here. One of the things about Nixon and Trump that I, I found particularly interesting is that Trump seemed to come into politics knowing a great deal about how things operated. But he wouldn't really have made his connection with Nixon that obvious. But Nixon, you know, when he left in Watergate and all the rest of it, was incredibly knowledgeable because he had also served eight years as uh, Ike's vice president. So he understood the black budget. He understood the deep state. He understood that the CIA had kind of done him in uh, over the Watergate mess. So Nixon goes in and talks with Trump and shares this with Trump. So we're getting a whole different picture of who Trump is. And then when we're looking at Trump's uncle, you know, Trump's uncle was so well thought of in uh, circles in terms of the national security of the United States that when Nikola Tesla dies, he's the guy that they bring in to examine his papers, and they're looking for something uh, ostensibly called a death ray that they had been doing surveillance on Tesla over. Wait, wait, wait a second. You mean that was Donald Trump's uncle? Yes, John G. Trump, Professor Trump from MIT. Okay, Joe, Stan Dale talked about that. Okay, about yeah. The, oh, yeah, his uncle worked with... Uh, I did not realize okay. that was his uncle. I, I, I yeah. even, even though the surnames are the same, I didn't make the connection. Wow. Yeah. How deep does this go? Well, you know, it's fascinating that you mentioned uh, Stan Dale because uh, Stan actually did something very interesting, which he referred back to a newspaper... Um, in a documentary that I saw, and the newspaper was from 1975, and it talked about how Nixon was going to take us out of the whole energy paradigm we were in with this new breakthrough energy that they had developed, and he was going to launch it in 1975. And this is an article in something called The Nation out of Australia. And uh, so when I was going through it and, and going through the documentary that Stan did on that, 
I went and got the newspaper and uh, read the whole article, and it's very fascinating. This is written in 74 before Watergate takes Nixon out, and uh, it's all about how they've been developing an entirely new source of energy at Pine Gap in that period. And so then I went into the Australian setup to see well, what was going on at Pine Gap and what was going on in Australia at the time. And there's a very unusual situation that takes place right after Nixon gets hoisted out of office, which is there's someone running uh, who's the prime minister of Australia, and he wants to get rid of Pine Gap. He, uh, he doesn't want the American presence there. He doesn't like what they're up to, you know. They said it was for space observation, but they turned it into an NSA-CIA facility to kind of eavesdrop on the world. And this guy uh, is under the impression that basically it makes Australia a target if there's ever a shooting war between these countries. So he's pushing to get rid of uh, Pine Gap and get it out of there. Well, they go into overdrive, and um, what happens is the Queen gives the Governor General they, they use this very obscure thing from when they first set up Australia. And he's duly elected Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Goff. And he he shows up one day to work, and they say, you're out. The, the Queen, you know, through the Governor General, just wrote you out, because that's what you can do. So it's the equivalent of somebody coming in from the UN after we've elected Trump and saying, sorry, you know, we thought <laughs> you thought you had a democratic country, but you don't. So they wow. just signed him out. And uh, so they call it the Constitutional Crisis of 1975 in Australia, and it's all over Pine Gap. And then when you go back to this article that uh, Dale referenced, I thought that's very interesting. They're both the same year that it, this is supposed to happen, this energy uh, independence is supposed to happen. And if you go a little deeper in that period, uh, you'll see there was a huge energy crisis because we stopped producing oil in such a way uh, it was the first time our oil production was going down, and the Arabs took advantage of that, and so there was the Arab oil crisis of 1973. So they were definitely looking at alternative energy sources, and, um, you know, it's kind of interesting, because if you go to, back to that period, there's all this stuff about, oh, they installed solar panels in the White House, and everything was about energy, but we don't really remember that or hear so much about that anymore. Man. Okay. Folks, this is... <laughs> This is why we love the dark journalist. Uh, and, and have you noticed watching him? No notes. This is all just, you know, contemporaneous and, and, and nothing beforehand. We didn't discuss this beforehand. So, okay. Um, just to be clear, this series that the, the, um, the, uh, X series deals with, um, just to be clear here, that follows the ex steganography through the history of political and covert groups coordinating in a stealth fashion the secret work of the UFO file. That's kind of the the crux it of is. the series. It is, yeah. And when you get to the UFO file, it literally comes down to, you know, there's a lot of different opinions about what it represents in terms of advanced technology. Um, some people would say it's off-world technology, it's recovered technology. Uh, and there's even a group who studies it from a scientific level that thinks that it's ancient technology. So the UFO file has all of that in that sense. It is this kind of interesting X factor. But you'll see over and over again um, that governments come out, and the CIA in particular comes out to whitewash that particular issue. 
And um, oddly enough, you know, you might have noticed back in December they came out in the New York Times and they said there was a military program studying UFOs uh, called A-TIP. And uh, the guy who was coming out and giving all these interviews was a former CIA counterintelligence guy named Luis Elizondo. So I looked into his past a little bit and I found that he was directly answerable to John Brennan who we know is the drone king, basically, from Obama. Whoa, not so fast. Wait wait a second. Say that again. (laughs) 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 Answerable to John Brennan? Yes. The John Brennan of of the Obama CIA fame? He's the the drone king. And Uh uh, what's interesting is they asked him, about this UFO article and Elizondo, and he said, this is Brennan now, and I, I kid you not. He says, UFOs are something we really need more research on. So the CIA moving in with this idea that, oh, we have this threat out there, and, uh, you know, from all intents and purposes, it looks to me like they're trying to set up something of a funding coroner. Uh, that They want to do this kind of test balloon around this to see how they can play the public with it. And uh, they have no <laughs> intentions of sharing the results that they've found over the past 70 years. As a matter of fact, um, in 2014, they put out a big study saying, hey, remember all those UFOs from the 60s and 70s? It was us. <laughs> we were testing them, you know, so just forget about that. Go to sleep on it. Um, but here in late 2017, they come out with this whole thing, and they create this thing called To the Stars Academy. And uh, it's really a bunch of ex-CIA guys and Lockheed guys. And their whole thing is about, ooh, maybe UFOs are real. And suddenly they're toying with this issue. And uh, the guy that they have coming out is Luis Elizondo. And uh, Elizondo's had some pretty high-level counterintelligence work from South America, the Middle East. I mean, he's he's got quite a background. And everything that he has said coming out about the UFO thing and how he smuggled out films and all this stuff, uh, is, has really no trail at all. It's it's pure fiction. And so it's a very odd little operation that they've been engaged in since December. Wow. Uh, how, I mean, how, how deep this goes. Our guest, of course, is the dark journalist, uh, darkjournalist.com. His work is phenomenal. You know, you, you think you know. You think you know stuff. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. And especially after uh, reading the dark journalist, as of course his tweet, his Twitter feed. I've got to have somebody in, in basically translate. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding about that. But but, but uh, I've got to tell you, uh, you, you're, you're groundbreaking information. You better turn on your mic if you want to. I'm talk. sorry, the volume's so low. I can't tell anymore if I'm on or not. But remember what Stan talked about last Tuesday about when. Back in the uh, Roswell days, back in the 40s and 50s, the government uh, wondering what the UFO technology was, saying it was either angelic or demonic. Yeah, you remember I, that? Yeah, I, 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 and, I do. Yeah, well, it's just really fascinating because Stan and uh, he worked for for a long time with President Trump's uncle, and that many people. I don't know if you've seen this, Daniel. I'm sure you have because you frequent some of the same sites I have. Many people think Donald Trump's a time traveler because of the Tesla technology, because of his uncle John Teller and his close uh, work and continued work of uh, Tesla's stuff. And I, I think it's—I always think it's funny when I see those ones. But it's uh, yes. Last week, Stan talked about 
the government's not understanding how to handle the technology of, you know, aliens or whatever and saying they're, they either have to be demonic or they have to be angelic. But when you think of all the secrecy behind all those operations, it is mind-boggling the technology that these people might have uh, already come up with. But with oh, there's that no said, question. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the wall of secrecy is about technology. That's that's really the point. Um, because what they're trying to protect is something that's been developed. So we could say that it's recovered. You know, there's one school of thought that would say that we've recovered it and redeveloped it. But it might actually be uh, something that, that we've discovered or developed. Uh, it might even relate to Nikola Tesla's work, if you really see the kind of um, output that he was doing, say, around 1900. He was going into all kinds of areas that had never been tapped into, and they, they shut him down pretty fast. Oh, yeah. Free energy is, uh, you know, look at the hundreds exactly. of trillions of dollars that have been made off, off of energy uh, when, you know, Tesla had it figured out, had the radio figured out, free energy figured out that long ago, and they've still been able to keep it under wraps. I want to ask you this, Daniel. We have Stan coming on at the top of next hour, and if you want to hang over for a few, uh, we could probably have you on with them for as long as you want. And if you got any questions or you guys want to share uh, ideas, if you have uh, time. more than welcome to do that if you have time. If not, that's yeah. fine. I, but... I, I would love to listen for sure. Okay. <laughs> well, I wouldn't I'll... want to cut into Stan's time, but wow, yeah, fantastic. Well, well you know, I, rarely do we have this convergence of intellectuals. Uh, well, I shouldn't say rarely, but it, it, it's serendipitous to say the least. And I think that, yeah, if you, if you can spare five or ten minutes, oh, that's great. You know, we'd, we'd love to have you. Um, and the second question is, do you have an extra bedroom? Because I think I'm gonna, <laughs> I want to spend a week with you. Uh, I just want to shadow you in your work. To, to because when I look at when I look at the cover, what you cover. And folks, again, the dark journalist, or I'm sorry, darkjournalist.com is the website, uh, Twitter feed, um, uh, as well. When I look at what you cover, man, it's more than surface level. It's more than even, you know, six foot down. It's like deep, deep stuff. And really what we're looking at here, in my view, is getting to the real questions and real answers, not just the, the politics, but the underlying. Yeah agenda of the politics and of the events, current events. Yeah, and their influences, yeah. too, sure, because a lot of them have this whole other side that we don't know anything about, and they deal with these topics uh, in private, for sure, even though, if they don't publicly. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, uh, you mentioned that about whether they thought UFOs were angelic or demonic. There was a group that was set up uh, inside the intelligence agencies called the Collins Elite, and they were a group that shared uh, their reports based on this idea, looking specifically at those aspects of the angelic versus the demonic side of it. So there, there was a track record there of this group, and it's kind of a dark uh, research committee, for sure. But um, a lot of their conclusions about what they were dealing with some of that has come out. Tons of it is absolutely classified, but a little bit has come out, and some of their conclusions did lean more into a kind of uh, almost a superstition about UFOs, which was pretty fascinating because they saw so much of the phenomena surrounding it uh, was also the kind of phenomena that you would see around certain types of uh, spiritualism, in a sense. So... um, you know, they, they considered it and they looked deeply at the issue and they, they were together as far as we know for over a decade 
looking at this in that period from 49 uh, to 59. So an absolutely crucial stage to look at all that. But, you know, when you look at it after, in terms of the official record, 70 years uh, of looking at these incidents and crashes and military people being harassed, and you have to say to yourself, what exactly is going on? Because just a new type of technology, you know, like we had stealth technology, we kept it hidden. Um, we had certain types of technology we'd hide from our enemies, etc. But there's an expiration date. Even the U-2 spy plane, right, the Russians found out about that. So if people have been seeing saucers and things like that and uh, flying discs since the 40s, well, where is the big reveal that, hey, we made this and this is what it does and you can get in one now or we use them for the military? So they never that technology never came out, whatever it was, and uh, those types of sightings continue on a regular basis even to this day. Okay, well, well could frequently. it be? Right. Well, could, could it be? And this is my belief. Um and it's you. You tell me if what you think of it or or whatever. But but I, I believe that uh, UFOs, meaning unidentified flying object, uh, true to its definition, are either man-made here on Earth or interdimensional, as opposed to extraterrestrial. I don't know if if that made sense, but. I, I don't believe that we've got people from, you know, uh, a galaxy far far away coming to visit us. That's not my belief. Uh, I'm open to discussion on this, but I believe what we're seeing is either either earthly made or interdimensional from the, um, maybe from the spirit world, if you will, or from the demonic uh, ripping of the rending of the the, the space time continuum into into our current venue. Does that make sense? And I think that's that? really, it's where the conversation should go. It's like, what exactly is the nature of these things? Because pilots have seen them, military people have seen them, uh, regular uh, people living in rural areas have seen them, certainly presidents have seen them. And they all have a great interest. One of the things I found out when I was doing this X series is that um, each one of these presidents, from Eisenhower on down, had something uh, that they put aside which is um, X-referenced. So, for example, uh, Eisenhower had something which was a time capsule that he put together called Project X, and that's waiting 100 years to be opened 2053. And we know that some of the items that he listed in there were about Richard Nixon, oddly enough. Um, and that's in two major biographies. One is by Evan Thomas. And, you know, Evan Thomas is like the ultimate CFR mainstream media type guy. It's not he's not somebody who's given to, you know, investigating things of, of the nature we're talking about. But uh so it's an absolute fact that Eisenhower kept this Project X time capsule. And um Nixon also uh was involved with a time capsule, which is a story that I, I came out with from somebody who worked for the Houston plan that said Nixon had was keeping a time capsule that was separate and wasn't going to be something that would be discovered, but he had placed it in the White House. Um, LBJ has something called the X letter, which is at the LBJ library, and this is a fact, any scholar, any reporter can tell you. And it's there for, until 50 years after his death. So what, whatever, you know, is in there, people have speculated, but, um, we won't know until 2023. So this X, um, steganography, which is a kind of labeling system, uh, it's not like, um, 
you know, kind of a cryptology system where in cryptology you're, it's an open puzzle. You know, it's like the Enigma machines or it's like Morse code. You, you know, it's something to crack and you spend time trying to crack the code. The, um, the X steganography is something that's there. It's hidden in plain sight. We know it's there. I call them stealth archives because we, we know that they are there, but we can't get our hands on them. Uh, you know, the JFK records come under this heading also which is the government holds all these records. We know they exist, but we don't get to see them. Uh, so the X letter from the LBJ library, Nixon's time capsule, Eisenhower's uh, X, Project X capsule at his Gettysburg farm in Pennsylvania, these are all things that are on the record. We know that they're there, but we can't access them. So um, it's my opinion, after looking at that and, and looking at the naming systems, that they're all referencing the same thing. And it has to do with the, the issue that we're talking about, which is a kind of advanced technology that's moved through these agencies. And when that stuff gets revealed, they want their role on the record. And, Daniel, let's take it a step further. Just recently, in the last five years, we've seen the emergence of what's called the Internet of Things. And now they're talking about building houses that are, you know, every wall has Alexa in it. It's all connected. <laughs> they have I don't know if you saw recently the video I think it was last week of the artificial intelligence bot that was able to um make a haircut appointment for you know somebody it was a demonstration of the ability of AI to sound like a human being think of the potential and possibility when we're looking at you know the times we live in the biblical times we live in for the technology that may be human made that we see in space that are called UFOs and the convergence of that with the artificial intelligent uh, technology that they're designing. I mean, the, the, the possibilities are endless as far as what, this, at least what the Bible talks about, a great deception. But they could even fake an alien invasion. They could do so many things with this technology. And Elon Musk even said, you know, we're summoning the demon. Do you believe that they're going to, at, at some point, use these technologies to... Uh, bring about this deception, whether it's a fake alien invasion or however it looks. Is this the end-time beast technology? Well, Musk is going to have to conjure something because his stock is tanking <laughs> so much after the uh, driverless car failure. Um, well, it, it is interesting what you're noting there, which is the move towards automation is so uh, soul-destroying, right? The idea is you'll replace people and you'll have robot bartenders and driverless cabs and we see these driverless cars are really a, a major thing that they're emphasizing. But what's fascinating is it's all oriented around the suborbital platforms. Um, that's the Internet of Things actually gets controlled from that, the same way we use GPS. So there's a kind of space platform that they're developing for control on the ground. You know, uh, Elena Freeland, who does a lot of research along this line, she's named it, um, her research is around the space fence. And the space fence is built up ostensibly this idea we're going to collect a bunch of space garbage. But we've been, we've had that since the 80s. And we do actually don't need, we don't have that much space garbage out there as it turns out. Right. So this is a corridor of funding that okay. they're, they're placing out there. And the idea is that it would control things on the ground. So for example, if you were going to go and, you know, you had a, a driverless car, you know, if you do something, if you're out of favor with the political ruling class, maybe you don't get the permission to use a car anymore. You know, this is what they're moving into. So it's a kind of control-style grid. 
So when some on the ground, you could say, you know, the work that um, the Davos crowd does or the Bilderberg crowd, which is doing a meeting up here uh, in June 7th in Italy, um, you know, their work is kind of demonic if you look at it straight up from what they're trying to do, consolidate the globe, put a global power grid in place, uh, have surveillance down to the DNA level and these things of this nature. So you could look at it from that perspective and say this is just a straight up evil thing and it makes sense and then if you look at it from the point of view on the political side you would just say these guys are moving to consolidate power and if they don't if they're not stopped it's a kind of a predator type situation so uh, I think either way you're, you're looking at uh, a major problem did you see, Daniel, and what do you make of Trump pushing the idea of adding basically a military arm in space? What would be the point of that if they don't have other aspirations or plans? Yeah, it's a great question. It's the Space Force, and I've been tracking his comments on this, are getting very interesting. Um, one of the things about the Space Force we have to remember is that he tried for a Space Corps last November, and they shot him down in Congress, so he couldn't get that off the ground. Um, the idea of the Space Force that he's trying to make it so that the Air Force is answerable to the Space Force. So he wants it to be dominant. Uh, Trump understands that the space economy, things are moving into space, and he wants a piece of that. That's why he reactivated the Space Council, which was dormant under Obama. He put Pence in charge of it. Uh, oddly enough, he put a Secretary of State in there, too, which is a little strange considering what the Secretary of State's job was. Um, it was kind of an odd photo op. But um, the way I look at that is this. The the move, Trump understands where the big moves are going to happen. This is what made him a great businessman. So he understands the space economy is the major move. But he also understands, even on the Hillary side, on the Democrat side, part of what they were trying to pull uh during that election, and I don't know if you remember this, is that she would come out and talk about this issue of UFOs, and she called them UAP, uh, which is Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which is the British way of saying it. Um, and there there was a lot of things about her and Podesta, who was a big champion around the cause of releasing UFO information. So when that article came out uh, in the New York Times about this UFO issue and how the military was studying it with AATIP and all the rest of it, Interestingly enough, it showed that there was a leftover operation from people who thought that Clinton was going to get in uh, to try this out, to kind of float this balloon and this idea of a UFO threat to see if they could create a whole new corridor of funding based on this idea. Um, and again, I don't think they were going to release anything real in terms of the information. It was just its kind of a spin job. But there were people as big as Brennan involved and Harry Reid. Uh, who apparently was the person who approved the funding for the Pentagon program to probe UFOs. Uh, he, he was the one, and he came out on social media talking about it and gave some interviews saying, yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of people are interested in this and, and we should investigate it. And this Daniel. is fascinating. Network break, uh, and, and we're going to use this time as well to have Stan Dale join us. Uh, he's looking forward to spending a few minutes with you. Uh, this is going to be fantastic. fantastic. And I wonder how President Trump's Space Force pertains to the Treaty on Principles that was entered into on um, over the, the weaponization and, and governing of outer space in 57, 67. 
I'm sorry. Well, we'll get Stan's thoughts on the, uh, this on the other side. And Dark Daniel, Daniel List, is staying with us with Stan for the first Two part. Two intellectual giants. Absolutely. All right. We'll be Stay right back. with us. This is the Hacker Report for today. It is Tuesday, May fifteenth, two thousand eighteen, primary day in some in some uh, states. If you're listening to this, uh, the polls are still open. Get out and vote if you haven't done so already. If if that's appropriate for your state. Uh, if not, what the heck? Do the Hillary Clinton thing and just vote anyway. <laughs> but uh, I've got to say, uh, very very infrequently, we have this convergence of events. Uh, Two intellectual giants, uh, of course, our regular Tuesday night guest is Stan Dale, standale.com. Just an incredible researcher. As a matter of fact, uh, this is, the, well, the real Indiana Jones, as I call him. Now, this is his last appearance before he leaves for, uh, on his journey to the, to the Garden of Eden on this research journey, this, uh, incredible, uh, Indiana Jones-alike trek. So keep him in your prayers and thoughts and such. Uh, but with us holding over is, of course, the dark journalist, darkjournalist.com. And during the second hour, if you remember, folks, we were talking about Stan Deo, about, well, about Donald Trump's uncle and Stan Deo's discussion. Uh, Joe, help me out with this, uh, with the, with the chronology of this. Uh, that's right. Duck under the camera. Okay. If you could see behind the scenes here, you would laugh because Joe just had to run over and duck under the camera. Yeah, I had to. I had to get up That'll there. teach you for using the restroom. You were uh, being late coming back at least. That's right. That's right. So we have with us Stan Dale from standale.com, our regular Tuesday night guest. Holding over with us is the dark journalist. And again, the second hour, we were discussing Donald Trump's uncle, Tesla. And, and walk me through the chronology of this, how this yeah, came up. Yeah, Nicholas Tesla, uh, Conducted his research, right. made so many breakthroughs that even today are still kept uh, classified because of the potential that it could, what it could do for human beings. And Stan Dale's uncle, Stan, Keller, Donald Trump. Or, oh, I'm sorry, Donald Trump's uncle. Stan, help me out now. Now I'm all confused. <laughs> all right, well, Stan Dale worked well, with I, Donald I, Trump's uncle. Worked yeah. with Donald Trump's uncle on Tesla research. Right. Okay. All right. Well, Stan, welcome to the program. You're on with uh, the dark journalist as well. We had a conversation about you in the second hour. Come on, boy. come on in, my, my brother. Okay. Is my mic on? It yeah, is. we hear you. Yes. Okay, good, good. Hi, Daniel. It's great to meet you, Stan. Good to meet you. Sounds like we do a lot of the same research these days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I spent a lot of time on yours, and it's fantastic. Yeah, it was... Uh, Gosh, when did I start doing the writing this now? It was in 1978 after I got out of the program. So even before that, my dad and I were looking into the, all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I was following up on your Pine Gap work and uh, I found that very, very interesting. Yeah, Pine Gap, uh, even the aborigines over there, uh, treat it as a magical place because uh, they see these silver UFOs kind of pop up out of the ground and take off to the west uh, over toward uh, Exmouth Cape where you have the, the big Tesla transmitters there. Uh, have you seen that, by the way, on Google Earth? No. No, I have not. 
Okay, if you get on Google Earth and uh, go over to Western Australia to the Exmouth Cape and go right up to the very um, tip of it, get in close, zoom in, and you'll see where the U.S. Navy, uh, primarily the U.S. Navy, did a lot of testing um, large Tesla coils. You can see the, the antenna poles, and the biggest one is like a, a mile across. I mean, it's got 13 towers on it. And a friend of mine used to work uh, there, so with wow. the I've even got one of the, uh, or actually a couple of the variable capacitors out of it uh, that I got before they changed it over and threw all that junk away. They just dig big pits out in the desert and shove it all. Oh, wow, it's incredible. It is, it is. Um, I've lived a very fortunate life in that I've been involved in these programs direct, um, you know, with the movers and shakers of it. Uh, it seems like a lifetime ago, but... Uh, Watching you and uh, Bill Moore and uh, quite a few others pick up the torch and uh, you know expand in areas that I hadn't covered is just really quite refreshing to to see that. Well, well, gentlemen, where are we at here? Because uh, to to me, this seems like a very interesting uh, confluence of events. And and of course, uh, Stan with with you and and the dark journalist, the parallel, if not intersecting, research here. the Tesla technology, Donald Trump's uncle, Donald Trump, Nixon. I mean, all of this, it, it's just its just blowing my mind. I don't even know what questions to ask. Well, uh, let, let me, let, yeah. by correcting one thing, guys. Um, um, you say I worked with uh, Donald Trump's uncle. I actually uh, interviewed and discussed uh, his past research um, with uh, Dr. Vandegraaff and his research in nuclear energy you know, in World War II for, toward the bomb. Um, a very bright man, and uh, we only spent uh, you know a few hours together, so it wasn't like I was employed and we were doing joint research. But I did pick his brain and get some very interesting facts about Nikola Tesla and the secret package that he had at the New Yorker uh, hotel there in, in uh, New York. Um, you know what a, uh, uh, Dr. Trump was. Um, I miss him. He was old when I met him, and. Uh, we, we did have a good uh, chat about the FBI and how chicken they were to open up the package that Tesla left in the hotel uh, safe. <laughs> because he, he told everybody, you know, don't unwrap it because it's a terrible weapon and it could destroy the earth. And so <laughs> I don't know what the FBI thought they were going to do, but they walked across the, the, uh, uh, entryway there over behind two marble columns, probably about oh, 30, 40 feet from where Dr. Trump was opening this package. They wanted him to open it. You know, they didn't want to do it. And, uh, you know, even if it had been a big weapon and done something magical like bring the building down, hiding behind those columns wasn't going to help them. That just shows you how much they didn't know about Tesla's work. Um, have you uh, gone into uh, Tesla's research, uh, Daniel, a whole lot? I have. Um, one of the things I thought was remarkable about your interview with Trump, which, by the way, I think he gave you more information than I've seen him give anywhere, um, but one of the incredible things that he said to you was that the FBI people, before they took him in, said that they were looking for something that was described as technology that could take down a, quote, flying object at a great distance. So that if someone was, say, in Hawaii and something was flying over the UK, they could remotely trigger it and take down that flying object. 
What was interesting to me also was that just a few years after Tesla died, they started using the term unidentified flying object. So it made me wonder if all that research wasn't connected somehow. Yeah. There were a lot of greats back in those days. Um, the uh, uh, Townsend Brown was another fellow I met and uh, talked with about his uh, research on the Philadelphia experiment and uh, or his participation in it. Uh, there were really huge scientific advances being made behind the scenes in the war effort where they had the budget. The Philadelphia experiment didn't have as much budget as the uh, the atom bomb did the Manhattan Project, but um, they uh, managed to uh, borrow from the Navy a minesweeper, the Eldridge, and because it had DC coils that covered every axis, X, Y, and Z axis of the magnetic field around that ship, and they could control signature of the ship by adjusting the field strings of these three sets of coils. Um, anyway, uh, so the magnetic mines that it came close to wouldn't notice that uh, the magnetic signature changed and wouldn't detonate so they could go and defuse it. But this particular type of a minesweeper, I got the circuit from the Navy, was very good for building a, a complex uh, field that you could store energy and you could pump it in over several minutes, uh, you know, even an hour if you wanted to, but it wasn't necessary. And that's why they took this ship because it was already pre-wired for what they wanted to do with interacting fields between all three axes. Uh, eventually, of course, uh, this led to anti-gravity and flying craft and just changing the field structure. But, uh, wow. Yeah, Amazing. So wow. It's incredible. And Brown did some stuff that is so off the charts now we still don't understand it. Yeah, I got as much of his uh, stuff as I could uh, from the French uh, government as well as uh, I actually visited his lab uh, with the Bonson Company over in uh, Salem. Amazing. Uh, oh, look, I got to open a door. We we had a, a film documentary crew with us there, and the attorneys for the uh, Bonson Company, where it was in the basement of this place, they said, you know, if you tell people where this is, we're going to come on you from a high height and sue you and all this kind of stuff. And I said, okay, fine. But we can film inside here where, uh, you know, Brown's instruments are still stacked in this room where he did the test. And I said, oh, yeah. So before we even got back to Australia with the film crew, they'd already uh, told people where it was and eventually sold the whole lab off to somebody up in Canada or something. But I got to see the, you know, the large, probably three-foot diameter aluminum uh, flying saucer hull that he was using and uh, to to do testing with his bifuel brown effect, which was a pulse generated to make the thing move in a circle. So got to sit there and touch that and look at his old uh, high-voltage DC power uh, supply that they had made up for them. And uh, then I met with J. Frank King, who was young at the time. They worked with uh, Dr. Brown there in the lab, building stuff and maintaining it. And uh, Both of them, of course, now passed on. But uh, J. Frank was, uh, look, it was like touching history, you know, just uh, amazing to see all this work they'd done so quietly. And then it just kind of fizzled off into, you know, into oblivion. But uh, other people have picked up the work in the government departments, uh, the technologies that we have now out there are so far ahead of what mainstream uh, industry uses in science. I mean, I try to talk to people, you know, as a scientist and say, look, to professional people and say, look, um, do you realize, you know, what the gravitational field is? It's not a one-directional thing. It's a dynamic, swirling 
field in the fluid of space, you know, like inside dark matter, if you wish. But um, the Earth used to be smaller. And I say, if you put the Earth back where it was, 75% of its current diameter, you can find out a lot of lost uh, places and, and uh, where technology was eventually much more advanced, like in Atlantis. And that's how I was able to find Atlantis. But try to explain that to these guys and say, look, open your eye for just a second, whether it be on UFOs and aliens and biblical interpretations of what's about to happen or whether it be on how we can find these ancient civilizations by reducing the size of the Earth in a computer, putting the continents back together, and then following the clues, the east, west, rivers, that kind of stuff, on a reduced-sized Earth with the continents touching. But the, 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 you just you can't get them to listen. So I do like you. I speak and uh, and write, and I've and, uh, been doing that for, well, a few years. Yeah. Well, it's amazing work. It's an incredible legacy of work that you have out there. Um, one of the fascinating things that I found was that in the RAD lab at MIT, we had Trump, we had Vannevar Bush, and the Varian brothers, and the Varians had developed the Klystrom, which basically gave us the edge in World War II, but that all of their work was classified. So the advanced technology that came up, you know, Vannevar Bush got so associated with things like MJ-12, and there were other things that came out about Bush, um, that I found that Robert Saubacher, who's a major physicist, he someone wrote him a letter in 1984, and he said, oh, all of the UFO aspect stuff, Vannevar Bush headed it up, and he called on me when he needed me, but he basically worked with a tight group. And I kept thinking, well, it's that Rad Lab. It's Trump, it's the Varian brothers, and Bush, because he kept them in that kind of tight circle at the Rad Lab. Well, Bush, uh, the Bush family certainly had a lot to do with it. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Teller was the head of the project that I worked on. I was recruited to work on down in Australia. But, um, you know, I think the trouble we run into, I think you may have uh, discovered this. If you try to take the ancient writings, you know, Hebrew writings and uh, Sumerian uh, documents, and try to tie those to the fallen ones who have come through into our universe, like in a parallel universe, when you try to talk like that, whether it be to, you know, established, you know, churches, you know, like uh, major churches, uh, and uh, talk to scientists uh, at uh, major universities, you just get glaze over eyes and rejection all the time. They don't want to, to try to put the facts together. Have you found this? Yeah, well, you're dealing with two major sides there. With the scientific side, doesn't want to talk about the religious side. The religious side doesn't want to talk necessarily about the alien aspect. So you're True. getting into a difficult corridor, a very thin corridor down the middle. Um, yeah. But but there are, there are so many things, uh, and like in your work in particular, I think you've brought out a lot on both sides. Well, I've tried to. Um, it's a, a fine line to walk, as you would appreciate. Um, and I, you know, my conclusions uh, on a lot of things may be wrong. I, I don't think so, but uh, I'm always willing to listen to an argument that says, have you thought about or did you consider this fact or whatever? So I'm not, you know, pedantic about it. But uh, so far, what I learned in the projects and after fit the biblical prophecies of um, a great deception coming. And is it this year, next year, sometime soon, I feel that they're going to make it because the whole concept of an alien presence coming here and, and uh, actually helping us is 
only going to work if you can override all the world's religious prejudices, all the cultural differences, um, and all the national borders and laws. You've got to get everybody to kind of go neutral, to get rid of all the baggage that they've got mentally, and come together and want to help, get help from a, a foreign source or an alien source to help us with earthquakes, to help us with volcanoes, to help us with the energy we need, to help us clean up the planet, to supply food. You know, all the things that are crisis curves that are now coming to a head kind of tell me that when all those crisis curves come to a head demanding, you know, for a peace treaty with Israel and the surrounding Arabs and stop the nuclear warfare, it's urgent. At that point, I think, is when they're going to fly in the uh, UFO alien, in, in quotes, uh, saviors, you know. Uh, interesting. Do you, what do you think? Well, it's, it's a fascinating idea. I know that they've been moving towards uh, closer to disclosure, but it's this very limited kind of disclosure like we saw in the New York Times recently where they said, oh, hey, the military's been studying UFOs, which is really a remarkable thing for the New York Times to talk about. Up until then, UFOs in the New York Times would have been total ridicule. So they certainly have eased their position there. And when you have people like John Brennan involved and saying, oh, we should investigate UFOs further... Uh, and his c- deep CIA history working as the director, then you know something's up. <laughs> yeah, you do. And I've been of two minds about how things happen, progress after I left the organization, but in, I was in it in uh, 71 through 73. Um, and the reason I left was because my, my uh, control officer, Captain Sir John Williams in uh, Melbourne, um, had his staff pack up all my uh, papers and things and give them to me to keep or destroy as they destroyed my my records there in uh, Melbourne because um, the underground facilities that they had built for these alien critters um, had gotten to the point the aliens had used their own technology and the ones that we built for them and reconstructed super advanced industrial capabilities in these uh, bunkers and they kicked us out. We had uh, shooting gunfights and wars with them. Um, once they had enough uh, of their own infrastructure built to get rid of us, they kicked us out. So, okay, how much of the technology will they allow us as you know humans to use? I mean, how uh, how strong a weapon, how fast a, a UFO craft, a saucer craft are we allowed to build and fly? So I think that a lot of the UFO activity that we see is either by their permission something we've built or something they've built and uh, it's going to come out shortly I, I you know I've been saying that every year but it just gets to a point where you think it can't go any longer the, the earth is ready to pop it's pregnant with need for a global government which they they're pushing fascinating that is remarkable what's amazing to me is that you were working there during this period and that's a, that's the major period in time the higher level people that you interacted with at the time, what kinds of things were you hearing from, from them? Were they concerned? Yes, yes, actually. One day at lunch, uh, was Sir John and, and Sir Henry, <clears throat> who was uh, on the, the advisory board of the CSIRO at the time, the scientific uh, organization, kind of like our, um, you know, our uh, National Science Foundation, something like that. Anyway, these two guys, they had me to lunch at the Melbourne Club, which is, where all the cotton top fuddy duddies that run the politics of the country meet, uh, you know, for discussions on things to run the country. 
and we were having lunch this particular day, and uh, Sir John sitting on my right and Sir Henry across from me, and Sir John turns to Sir Henry and he says, uh, you know, Henry, you know, they're moving in on us. And I waited for, you know, more discussion on who they were, what moving in on us was doing. <laughs> and uh, nothing happened. I said, uh, oh, uh, sir, uh, did you mean like uh, the uh, European e- economic community moving in on, say, Australia or America? Uh, no, no. Henry, shall we take in some fishing up the property this weekend? You know, and immediately dead conversation. Now, that was early in the piece, uh-huh. but it was telling us, you know, that um, or telling me at the table that basically they're talking presence and they are moving in on us and that was before the the fighting started and and that was in the mid to late 70s when we were kicked out of all of our bases and that's <coughs> say again that took place in australia yeah yeah wow. but we had we look we had uh, facilities uh, some of the the guard details i talked with uh, we had some pretty interesting uh, police <laughs> for the project but one of them was in England, and uh, we had uh, a captured live critter there, uh, in fact, two of them, the saucer craft offshore, uh, and it was uh, salvaged, and the, the crew that survived were salvaged. Um, and then he told me about tests they had done in the ones that we had built later, where uh, he was outside the facility there in England, and the guys had a, a saucer, a dish, probably 30-foot diameter one, sitting in a cradle outside. And the pilots came out, got in, and he was watching. And he said, uh, you know, nothing happened for a while. I guess they were testing, you know, getting used to the controls or whatever. And he said, then they they started to move up. And he said, the ship kind of came up like this and swayed left and right. And then it kind of stabilized and it pointed in a different direction. And whoosh, it was gone. He said, I couldn't move my head up fast enough to see it. But he said, what I did see was beautiful. He said, it made circular rainbows in its wake, you know, as it left. It ionized the air and, and, and created the, the rainbow effect. Um, and with him, uh, he told me that he'd worked in West Germany. We had facilities there, uh, captured um, German bunkers and test areas, which were never open to the public. And uh, they had, uh, in one of them, they had a long rail line, uh, just, you know, trackway underground in a tunnel and off to the side of it was the lab that was doing the, the testing of this particular man-made uh, saucer propulsion thing which is on its side on a sled uh, to move down the, the track and he said um, I was told not to get in the way of the uh, the track I could look from the side door in he said but uh, not to get in the way of the track because this thing was going to be moving rather fast right uh, past me he said and uh, he said, I looked left, see it down at the end of the tunnel, and they pushed the button to go. There was this sudden glow, and he said, as fast as I could turn my head, it was already past me up the other end of the tunnel. Wow. And it was an electrogravitic drive. And, uh, you know, I I learned a lot from uh, poking around with the security guys, because in the project, it's like they are today, things are very compartmentalized. You don't talk with the guy over here doing you know, dishwater while you're doing hamburgers over here. They, there's no crosstalk unless you get outside the channel. Um, right. Wow, it's amazing. Do uh, you know um, the reason why they selected Pine Gap 
the location because one of the things I found is they named everything after uh, the tempest there around Pine Gap. So Pine Gap comes from the tempest. Prospero comes from the tempest. Um, they had the Prospero satellite. And they're using all the Shakespeare imagery when they name things there. Uh, but you mentioned something about the Aborigines originally in that Alice Springs area having some kind of supernatural sense of it. One of the uh, – Holly and I visited with the Aboriginals in the Western Australian group and uh, with the president of the Aboriginal Society there. Uh, one of the things that uh, we found out was that the um, young men, when they would take them uh, on their walkabout initiation, what's called the kangaroo's back, uh, they would walk uh, toward Pine Gap and up into the Musgrave uh, Range and over toward um, Uluru, uh, the great red rock in the middle. Anyway, they had this path to follow. And one night when they had a group of young men that were doing initiation, it was night. They had uh, settled down for the evening. And uh, all of a sudden, they said a, a white light saucer came and parked probably 100 yards from them. And they were hidden away, so they were looking at it in great astonishment. And he said, um, the uh, men, it looked like men, got out and walked over with a, an instrument in their hand like a rod and pointed it at a, a large rock. And the rock melted right in front of them. And, uh, of course, they were all pretty impressed with this. So after the beings in this craft left, they went over to see the rock, and uh, there were no footprints anywhere. So their feet didn't touch the ground. Uh, so they call them the Kadachi men, the Featherfoot, you know, uh, big big Kahuna power. Wow. Uh, oh, look, at there's one place they told me about out there that you could, uh, it was close to that spot where you could go at certain times of the year and just sit down and wait. And there would be a procession of these smaller crafts coming up out of the ground, you know, from Pine Gap area. Now, I talked to a dentist and a doctor who were up uh, hunting uh, in the hillside up there uh, above Pine Gap, and it was toward late evening, and they saw a, a large U.S. U.S. Are we coming to commercial? Yeah, uh, gentlemen, I I hate to do this to to you both. Uh, we have to take a hard network break at the bottom of the hour right now, as a matter of fact. So I, I've got to say we've got to say goodbye to the dark journalist. And, wow. and we're going to keep you over, uh, Daniel. Thank you so much for staying, for your gracious gift of time for staying over. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks so much, and thank you, Stan. It was great talking. Hey, Daniel, we'll have to do more of it offline. There's no question about it. Wow, thank you. H- history in thank the making, uh, Daniel. Thank you so much for staying over. Um, we'll be in touch. Stan, hang, just hang right where you're at. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report this 15th day of May 2018. What a fantastic segment. Wow. Stay right where you're at. Welcome back to our third and final segment on this Hagman Report. We have with us Stan Deo still, and what a great surprise and treat that was to have Dark, journal, dark journalist Daniel Litz, come on and talk with Stan Dale uh, about stuff that's just way over our head. And uh, no, that was a great conversation. I was, I was saying at the, during the break, I felt like I, <laughs> I was uh, supposed to be in a home ec class, and I walked into an advanced calculus class listening to these two gentlemen talk. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what, I respect their intellects, but uh, huh? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, Sandale, the real Indiana Jones. Um, we were talking during the break as well about the Hawaiian situation. Joe, you've got information on that, and Stan and Holly do as well. Yeah, they, uh, the USGS has issued an alert raising the alert level from orange to red. And I don't know what the differences in those warning systems are. I'm looking for a, uh, a, a chart right now, but, um, it's code red. It means increased ash emission, ash clouds, as well as, uh, ash fall down, uh, downwind and also the potential for, uh, more eruptions. Uh, Stan. Now, is go is ahead. there one level above that? Do they show one level above the red? No, they don't. No. Uh, well, the New Zealand, uh, I, uh, GNS group do, but um, normally they're red. It means eruption in progress rather than uh, likely. Okay. So we must be pushing the envelope very close to the top of that uh, red marker they've got. And I might not be looking I, at a up to date uh, up to date thing here, but yeah, that's uh we've been hearing about it all week about the potential for the ex- the uh, lava going below the water table or what you just explained well, about the I, water I, I, creating the explosive. If, if I can interject, I mean, j- just the most basic of questions. And I don't want to sound stupid here, but what does this mean for the big island of Hawaii? I mean, is the entire island in danger or most of it, some of it, part of it? Uh... Well, it depends. Um, if you're talking about are they going to get covered in lava, I don't think the whole island will. But certainly the uh, eastern, the southeastern coast is going to increase. I think we'll see uh, more landmass added to the big island on the the uh, the state side side of the island. Um, the mainland side. Um, the blasts uh, look like they're heading out to sea, even the, the uh, gas clouds, which would be a problem if it was emitting the sulfur dioxide and various other gases that come with the eruption. Uh, if that blows the wrong way, it can make people quite ill and, and kill them um, in some cases on the uh, western side of the island. It's part of a process that I've been looking at for a number of years. Last uh, time I was on the show, I put up some images showing um, you know, the, the, the big island here and then the, the next smaller island and the next one and the next one until there was no more islands, but you could see in the ocean floor trails of other kind of failed volcanic eruptions, but they were under the water level. And it's because this, the, the surface of the earth at that point had been moved across a hot spot where in the mantle there was hot magma trying to push up through the seabed. And the the movement of the plate, which was, you know, the tectonic plates and the, and the distance in between on the seafloor, that was all moving. And as it moved over this spot is when these eruptions kept occurring. But you'll notice that the progression was toward bigger and bigger islands in, in, you know, in diameter and in height. Now, what we're seeing now is that the the movement of the mantle is so slow that the eruptions are continuing to build on the main island and they're going to add property on the uh, eastern side of it. Um, it's only one of several things at the moment that uh, are rather concerning. The In slide uh, 47, uh, you look at earthquakes, right? Because we had earthquakes in Hawaii, we had earthquakes in the Indian Ocean, various other places. Last week, or, you know, the, the week of 30 April to 7 May, there were 3,781 earthquakes over a Richter zero. In other words, earthquakes registered anywhere on the planet. 
3,781. And if you look over to the right at the uh, slide 48, this is through 15 May, this last week, there are 2,628 earthquakes that have occurred there. Same figures, you know, Richter zero and above, all earthquakes on the planet. What you see is that the number of earthquakes has dropped 30%. You don't like to see that because that means the pressure is now building up and not releasing in all these little places. So this could be moving us toward a real surprise over on the eastern side of the Ring of Fire or the Ark of Fire. Even, even the weather over in that area, like uh, in slide 51, you're seeing a cyclone uh, spinning off of Chile on the west coast of South America. It's an electric event, you know, in addition to winds and, and temperatures. And these things combined with the changes in the volcanic activity and earthquake activity all over the planet make me think we're approaching a time of real interesting change. Um, interesting yeah. being the Chinese application of the word interesting times. Does this, to you, Stan, does this speak to earth modification? And I ask that because on the Weather Channel earlier this week, they had uh, a headline, something along the lines of, you know, super rare, you know, once in a lifetime type event where this we're having Some a lot of, of those. tropical cyclone was forming off the coast of Chile, and I'm looking at the one of our favorite maps, Stan, the Earth Wind Map, and it looks mm. a lot less organized than it did earlier in the week or just yesterday morning, I should say. But that's definitely uh, uh, very interesting. It's kind, of, it's kind of quiet in the, on that wind map that you don't see a lot of activity. Yeah, no, you don't. No, um, it's like a lull and. Our magnetic field, we've talked about this a number of times, our magnetic field of the planet is weakening, and it's uh, it's going to get to a point where it will pass through as um, a flip occurs, and there will be a momentary zero uh, north pole, zero south pole, because there will be three pairs of north-south magma pools moving in the, in the planet, interacting, and we will have a field that's almost gone entirely. And that field is like Star Trek. It's our shield. It's... Uh, it's the upper charged atmosphere, the ionosphere, and the, the Van Allen belts. All these things trap particles and, and, and uh, radiation that would normally kill life on the surface of the planet. This is weakening. And it's, we, we know it's weakening. We know that the sun is doing something very odd for this uh, solar cycle in that we don't see a lot of sunspots in the low spot, uh, the, the low uh, point of its complete cycle of, of 11.8 years. We're in the middle of that. But we're seeing uh, large areas opening up in the coronal uh, atmosphere of the sun and emitting all kinds of solar wind at the planet. And normally we'd be protected, but, you know, because of the weakening Earth's field, which will come back, but it's... And this is now being published in mainstream about the the pending, very possible, very probable flip of our north-south pole they don't explain to you like NASA does uh, in their their website. The there are there are three pairs of north south zones inside the, the planet. So we have three north poles and three south poles at the moment vying for control. And the the north pole is uh, split into two. It's it's deviating to the well. I guess it would be to the left of the screen. I don't know whether I say east, but anyway, from the charts they made, you can see that you've got two nodes that are two north poles. And the South Pole, which is kind of blurred, but the two North Pole things indicate that it's changing its position quicker than the South Pole. All these things add up to 
changes in the electric field of the Earth, changes in the radiation density hitting the surface of the Earth, and hence the heating of the oceans and land, and sterilizing of certain uh, types of bugs and fishes and trees, particularly over in uh, uh, Northern California, we've seen the UV type that uh, kills trees there. Um, and so this cyclone, this hurricane off of Chile, uh, it's one of several events I think we're going to see that are unusual. Certainly we're going to have an increase in uh, violent hurricanes this season from what the, the documents show. And the planet's going to be hotter and drier in a lot of places. Other places like um, the northeastern part of Africa, Ethiopia, Somalia, that area, they have been seeing massive floods. You know, they've been dry, 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 and now they've, they're flooding over there. And, you know, our our change is like a climate change in that we're going to see areas that were just dry getting rain and things that were wet are going to go dry. Certainly for us here in Colorado, uh, we are entering into a, the last couple of years a very dry period. Um, and it's sucking up a lot of the water we get out of the snow belt in the mountains to keep things alive here. We see that change in that respect, and you guys have seen it, I think, with all the snow that you got uh, late last year and this year. Oh, yeah. Stan, is a pole flip biblical? Uh, interesting uh, that you put it that way, but um, I don't know that I see any prophecies in the Revelation of John or even in Daniel about a, a thing called a pole flip. But we do know from the Old Testament that um, the Lord protecting Israel in some of the battles did stop the sun in the sky mm-hmm. at, uh, at noon. And it stayed there, and the sun didn't go down. Now, the way this would happen, now I'm going to just have to use hands to show you, but uh, if, this, if the surface of the Earth, that thin crust that moves, you know, if you get an asteroid to hit it or the hand of God touch it or whatever, if you have the sun over here, and instead of going the normal way, the Earth is moved so that it keeps that side facing the sun then as far as people could tell, because it was bright daylight and not at night, the sun uh, stood still because the position over in Jerusalem was what the earth moved around. Instead of going east-west, it tilted in a different direction. And that would indicate a change in the uh, geological poles, you know, the the map, the north-south type thing. But it did return to normal. There are records in the Egyptian accounts, the astronomers, and in the Chinese astronomers' accounts that uh, show that the Earth has flipped upside down at least twice the surface of it in in uh, recorded history, where the sun rose in the west and set in the east, and then in the east and the west. And there have been two reversals like that recorded in the Egyptian records and the Chinese records. So we're not immune to things making us our surface drift. Um, I think we will have some electronics problems when the magnetic field finally goes through the zero point, uh, flipping over. And uh, in addition to that, everyone's going to be hiding under rocks or in caves because without that magnetic field shielding us, the ultraviolet A and B are going to intensify and they're going to make you ill. You'll get burning rashes, you'll get uh, nausea and diarrhea, disorientation if you're in this uh, ultraviolet burst. Now, we know this has happened already um, in an island uh, chain uh, near Central America, uh, just to the east of that. There was a time when the ozone layer developed a hole over that area, and 
for several days. And I talked with people by phone in that uh, island group. And young children were being sent home from school with the rash and with the, uh, the nausea. And adults were getting it as well. And people were being asked to go inside and shield themselves from this. So when the Bible says, that, you know, they're going to say, hide me from the, the wrath of the Almighty, you know, but the stones follow me and hide me. The stones would be about the only thing that would save you from the radiation that's hitting. It's going to hit plant life, create famines. Is it going to happen soon? Is it going to happen uh, before the millennium? Uh, yeah, it'll happen before the millennium, but I'd say 10 or 20 years, sometime in that time period, maybe even less, we're going to see massive changes in the sun affecting our weather and uh, killing a lot of plant life and people. One of the things that really kind of uh, is, is a question mark in my mind is when it says that the, that the sun is going to get brighter, seven times brighter, and it's going to kill one-third of the living things on the planet. Now, you think, well, okay, what is it going to have spotty little discharges that hit here and there on the planet? Or is one part of the planet going to be facing the sun and not change fast enough or not change at all, rotate like that thing that happened with Joshua? where the, the planet spins around so the sun is pointing at the same surface area all the time. If you get a strong burst of radiation and light like that, it will kill everything that it, it's on the surface and a lot of the surface dwelling uh, in the ocean, the surface dwelling fish. Um, it'll boil the seas on that side. Now, even though we might be on the, the two-thirds of the planet that's not directly exposed to that, it's going to affect the weather on the whole planet by heating up the atmosphere and creating horrific storms and it will also create uh, earthquakes by changing water weights over land and evaporating water that's holding things stable in formations. All kinds of, of nonsense are going to happen. Food shortages, um, you know, increased uh, fighting between countries because of the resources depletion. And, you know, when your fish are dead, you know, you can't eat those. When your trees and your, uh, your fruit trees and, and your vegetable crops are dead, you know, are overheated, you can't eat. It's going to be a very, very tough time, and I think it's coming soon. Well, it's uh, very interesting, and, you know, the times we live, are living in are definitely prophetic, and many leaving many to ask, are we in the last days? And, Stan, I want to kind of switch gears and ask you this. We saw on the 70th year to the day, the anniversary of Israel becoming a nation again yesterday, that the uh, United States and President Trump is moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, officially recognizing it as the capital of Israel. And I see on your website, standeo.com, the photo of the day is a, uh, like a what collage of different images from uh, the celebrations over there in Israel. But at the same time, you have the celebrations, you have the protest by uh, people in Gaza, the Palestinians, and you have a lot of injured and dead but let's talk about the move first. They obviously did it to the day, 70-year anniversary from the foundation of Israel as a nation again, to mark this historic moment. How does this? How, what do you see this? Uh, how do you see this playing out? Uh, and now they're talking about a peace, a peace deal. Yes. Well, you know that uh, Jared uh, Kushner has been uh, working peace deal with the Saudis and the Israelis and the. Uh, MBS, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, the Saudi uh, prince, has been making offers to the Palestinians to relocate and finance them uh, in a big way to resettle and uh, form their own 
portion somewhere in the Arab nations, if not in Saudi Arabia. Now, the Palestinians had rejected it, but uh, Mohammed bin Salman is becoming a bit more forceful about it to make this peace treaty. Now, the peace treaty won't be uh, organized by Mohammed bin Salman. He will contribute to it by getting the Palestinians to come to the table. Um, but you're going to see that um, the peace treaty will be signed uh, probably in Israel, and uh, uh, Trump will get credit for it, uh, Jared Kushner will get credit for it, so will MBS, but the major uh, agreement will be kind of fostered by the United States' presence there with Israel. Now, when that happens, uh, Saudi Arabia will be a signatory to it. He will endorse that covenant between the small people, the Palestinians, and Israel. And you know that from Daniel that the Antichrist of this age will come to power with the help of a small people. And I think that he didn't call it a nation, but a small people. So you got a, a gaggle, a group of Palestinians who are homeless, and because they try to take over something that's not theirs. And they are the, the pawn being used to, to organize this peace treaty. Now, I think it has to get a bit more serious before that, that peace treaty is demanded by the rest of the world. And I think the serious is going to be over the Iranian situation against Israel and the use of nuclear weapons against Israel or the attempted use. Now, Israel will in turn defend itself, and it does have nuclear uh, hardware. It's some pretty impressive stuff, actually. And they will stop the Iranian advance, and the Russians won't mess with them either with when they've got the nukes, because everybody's got them in a corner, and they know that Israel has the Samson option where they'll take out Israel and all the people that uh, invade it if necessary. So the threat is there. It's like mutually assured destruction, but in this case, it would be like, I'm going to blow you up and us too. It's the Dr. Strangelove thing in a local area. That will force uh, the demand for a peace treaty uh, all across the country, all across uh, the, the world, in fact, but mainly in Europe and in the Middle East. So that's what I see happening. This peace treaty has to come, or peace covenant, and um, they're going to build it, I think, on the the basis of the uh, Oslo Accords that uh, were used in the late 90s or drawn up in the late 90s. They're going to revive that and watch for Nimrod Novik, Dr. Novik, who was a part of the drafting of the uh, Oslo Accords. Uh, watch for him coming more into the the, the news. Just search for um, Novik, N-O-V-I-K or N-O-V-I-C-K and see what he has to say about developments excuse me about developments uh, of this peace treaty uh, since he was part of the original team doing it in Oslo he, and he has been trained in the states and he was uh, mentored by Henry Kissinger uh, Nimrod Novik is going to be a player in this when they start for, for drafting that treaty now, I've seen minor news articles on him here in the last uh, three or four months but I think we're going to see more of him and that's the guy to watch uh, for this redrafted you know yeah. um, peace treaty what do you think about uh, you know president or the president of Turkey Erdogan today said that because of the U.S. recognizing and moving the embassy to Jerusalem that they have lost their role as mediator of the peace agreement uh, and as you just said you think it would be the uh, Muhammad bin Solomon working with the other Arab leaders and Palestinian leaders more so than the U.S. and 
the people like Jared Kushner's influence to broker this deal. And uh, that first, but I also want to ask you, Jared Kushner is friends with George Soros. Do you think there's a much more nefarious agenda here at play when we see him, hmm. you know, grandstanding in Israel uh, talking about these things? You, you have to wonder. I mean, Soros, his uh, modus operandi is to divide and conquer. And he funds both sides of an issue in a country that he wants to take over. Supplies the money to rebels, supplies the money to the established government. Let them fight it out, and out of that will come a synthesis of a new order in that country. And he will have financed both sides, so he'll come out on top regardless, but he'll be in financial control of that nation. Now, in the Middle East, uh, even though Soros is a Jewish background, you know, Jewish lineage, he is a traitor uh, to you know, Orthodox Judaism. And he, uh, he's going to divide the Middle East over the uh, Jerusalem, uh, issue with the Palestinians. Now, is he using Jared Kushner? Did he loan money to Jared Kushner for some of his business deals? Okay, there are question marks on that. Um, I know that I wouldn't like to be responsible for drawing up that peace treaty right now because of what the Bible says is going to come from it. Um, and, and, and the fact that Israel is being, you know, wooed by Mohammed bin Salman worries me a great deal because you don't change your spots after 3,000 years of hating Israel. You don't just come and say, oh, look, let, let's be friends because the, the Iranian Shiites are our enemies and we can work together and destroy them. But that's what Mohammed bin Salman is saying. And he's got 40 Arab Sunni nations in a consortium that they even have their own army and, and weapons. We've talked about it the early last year on your show. And um, this tells me that he's he's got nuclear arms he's getting from Pakistan. He can also get nuclear arms from the United States. Pakistan is part of its member nations in that 40-nation consortium. And it, when the nukes start to fly, he could just as well, as soon as he takes out Iran, he could just as well turn and, and go after Israel to betray them. Um, there's so many things that Mohammed bin Salman himself is doing that fit the description of the Antichrist's age that you have to seriously consider him as a leading candidate at the moment. If not him, I'm looking at Erdogan of Turkey. Um, Erdogan reveres, uh, you know, the name of Solomon and the various, you know, Solomons that have occurred in history, including in the Ottoman Empire. Um, so, he could very well take up the mantle of being a Solomon to fulfill the warning, uh, the identity of the Antichrist in Revelation 13, where it says, Here wisdom is, which points to King Solomon, which we've discussed before. You've been right on the money with all of this. I mean, you, you've been leading the pack uh, from all of this, naming well, the names. Uh, you know, I, I guess so, being the first one to do it, but uh, it's from reading the Scripture many times and saying, are we looking at this wrong? I mean, is it going to be 666? Is it going to be in Greek? Uh, is it going to be in Hebrew? You know, that you added up with schematic. Um, maybe this means that you have to read the Old Testament and the New Testament to decode this because Revelation and Daniel you know, are parallels in a lot of ways, but they help you decode each, each passage. So one day it just kind of, you know, the good Lord must have tapped me on the shoulder while I was kind of daydreaming or something and said, look, here is the wisdom. Go to this place. It's pointing you to some place. And uh, that's what pointed me back to 666 was what 
King Solomon earned, you know, in gold every year or took in anyway. And also King Solomon was known for his wisdom. Also King Solomon did what the Antichrist is going to do in a different way, but King Solomon dedicated the temple to God with a long prayer and then called fire down from the heavens to consume the offering, which did happen. God, you know, consumed the offering in the presence or in the sight of the men of Israel at that time. The Antichrist of this time is going to bring fire down from the heavens in the sight of man, not Israel, but in the sight of man. And he's going to try to do some of the things King Solomon did to impress, you know, the locals. With the use of technology and the help of the alien gods, as Daniel said, uh, the Antichrist of this age will be able to use technology to control the world, uh, to enslave it, in essence. But uh, it also says that um, he's going to build his tent, uh, you know, amongst the, the, the... He's going to make his habitation amongst the rich, rich tents of a, a city he's going to build, in essence. And uh, young Prince Ben Salman is building Neo right over the top of the ground that encompasses where Mount Sinai is and was in the time of Moses where you know God gave the commandments to Moses so he's going to dwell in that place in a luxury place he's already started funding it now you know, billions of dollars so he's doing that and he's he's got uh, he's been learning his military skills he made some mistakes in Yemen to start with but he learned quick so he may be a uh, developing expert tactician his only competition in the region is uh, General Qasem Soleimani over in Iran, another Solomon. So all those guys we have to keep an eye on, but I still lean heavily toward Mohammed bin Salman, and uh, yeah. he's going to trick Israel. He's going to trick them. I, you know, I agree with that, Stan. We got to we got to keep our eye on him. I was just looking at the chart that you, we uh, that you put together that we were looking at last week. Of all the people that you identify as the possibility of uh, the Antichrist and all the different indicators and, and things that they have to match in order to do that, and you continue to add to to that, and I appreciate you doing that. And it is such an important tool. I'm going to um, make sure that I print it out. I'm also going to post it up, a link to it up on Hagman Report somewhere where right. it's there for people to find it. But Stan, we only got about two minutes left. This is our last broadcast before your trip to Tanzania in Africa? Yeah, yeah, over to the Ngoro Crater, uh, about uh, 75 miles west of Arusha, uh, just about 30 miles, uh, which Arusha is about 30 miles from um, three large volcanoes there, uh, Kilimanjaro, and the two satellite volcanoes, which they called um, they called uh, cherubs, cherubs in English. Hmm. And they weren't like little Botticelli angels. They were big things that caused destruction. And they had a flaming fire coming out of the central one at Kilimanjaro. And that's why they call it Kilimanjaro, the, the, the mountain of light, the spiraling, sparkling light. Anyway, yes, that's where I'm going. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a pity that uh, your show is known later at night. Let's see, this would be, we're at, at uh, seven, uh, 7 o'clock my time, and 9 would be 60. Well, you can always catch the archive, be. Stan. Well, I mean, we, we can grab you. Well, I was uh, thinking, I was thinking, shoot, maybe I should, I was trying to see if I could uh, ring and say hi to you from there, from the actual floor of the, of the Garden of Eden, but, uh, um, it, we're, they're nine hours ahead of us. Alright, we can arrange something, maybe a pre-record. How's that? Okay, sounds like a plan. 
Um, yeah, because uh, well, we we can't we can't go a couple of weeks without you, brother. I mean, our, our, we're gonna have a revolt <laughs> on our hands. Um, but, uh, well, thank you for that, guys. It's been right. a good show, and we'll see you if not in between by remote um, in about the first week of June sometime. All right, but you stay safe. Yeah, have a fun and productive trip. We'll be talking. It's gonna be gonna be a, an exercise. <laughs> Uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure it will. The real Indiana Jones, Stan Deo. All right. That'll do it for us tonight. Wow. Great show. Uh, just fantastic. Uh, then we'll be back tomorrow. We got another great show planned for you then. So don't, don't miss the Hagman Daily Show at 2, the Doug Hagman Radio Show at, at 9, and then back here at 7 p.m. for the Hagman Report. Have a good day, everyone. Good night.